Episode 42 of the Shark Bites Podcast, a Throwdown Thursday production. I am your host, Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are brought to you by the Dorkening Network and, of course, as a result, Deadly Grounds Coffee. Uh, get yours at DeadlyGroundsCoffee.com. Uh, I had some this morning, as did uh, Ashes, and uh, we are running dangerously low, and I'm hoping soon to get the Day of the Dead blend because that looks amazing. I am joined today by... Author Annie Sullivan, not the same Annie Sullivan who worked with Helen Keller, but uh, a different Annie Sullivan. And uh, Annie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, to join us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thanks for making sure everyone knows I'm not the miracle worker. You know, maybe I can earn that nickname someday. <laughs> yeah, at, at some point, at some point. Um, you know, Just have to perform a few more miracles, I guess, to to earn that one. Yeah, we'll see if we can get you canonized and everything. Yes, that would be great. I am Catholic, so I am on my way. Like, I got the first step. Yes, halfway there. Halfway there. Halfway, yeah. Just a few more steps, like three miracles, two miracles. I can't remember what it is these days. I, think but, uh, I don't know. I, think, I don't know if you have to adjust for inflation at this point. I think it's 2.6. 2.6. Yeah. I, you know, well, I think we can work on that. That'll be my, my next thing after I write some more books. Yeah. So you are, uh, in addition to being uh, a writer, you are uh, an avid traveler. Uh, according to your Amazon profile, you uh, you have traveled to uh, Ireland and let's see, uh, I have it written down. And a couple of the things that I would like to do, uh, as this is called the Shark Bites podcast, anyone who knows me knows that I am uh, quite fond of sharks, as you can see from the, uh, well, folks at home can't see, but Annie, you can see the uh, <laughs> Throw Down Thursday logo. I am a science shark. I love it. I love sharks. So we could just talk. We don't even have to talk about my books. We can just talk about sharks oh. for the next hour and we'll be good. Oh, we really could, too. But uh, you you did one of the things that I want to do very badly. And you uh, you went cage diving in South Africa with the Great Whites. Um, tell us a little bit about that. It was amazing and awful at the same time you know it's something i've always wanted to do because like you i love sharks like shark week is my thing like i have like shark week parties because that's how cool i am you guys um and i send all my friends like shark themed wine glasses and stickers and all this kind of stuff um but we use the same company that does shark week um, that helps them with shark week down in south africa at seal island and um, like we got to pull a decoy, so we got to see a small breach where where a great white jumps a little bit out of the water, which is mostly just its head, um, but still cool. And then when you actually get in the water, I mean, it's like six a.m. It's freezing. It's dark. I'm a tiny little like five foot person. I'm in this wetsuit, and all I can think is I look like a delicious seal. And um, I I'm the first one in the cage because. Of course I am. You know, I just said I love sharks. Um, well, I ended up, I think, swallowing like half my body weight and chum waiting, <laughs> waiting. It took forever. But then you see your first shark and it's just amazing. Even though it's murky and dark, they just glide by you. I think the biggest one we saw was about 12 feet, um, <sighs> which I wanted to see bigger. I was like, give me, you know, deep blue, the the biggest one oh, and all that kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> 
but definitely such a cool experience to be able to to even just see them in the wild is is amazing. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I made my parents come with me and they they did not want to get in the water, but then I made them get in the water and that's when the twelve footer appeared. So oh, see, I no one would have to force me to get into the water. <laughs> I would I would do it just because I want to do it. Now you, you you say, and I've brought this up on a couple of uh, other shows talking about the size of sharks and stuff. You know, you saying that you're five feet tall and you're like, well, it was only 12 feet. That's literally 240% bigger than you are. Like, if you saw a 12-foot person, like, you'd be like, you know, like, I've met some NFL players and some NBA players <laughs> in my time. And, I mean, I'm 5'9", five, 5'10", five, you know, if the sun hits me just right, you know. And I look at a guy that's like six, 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 seven. Well, it's like, wow, that is a huge person. Now double that <laughs> and give them two thousand teeth. Yes. So twenty-five is deep blue would be amazing, but 12, 12 foot shark is not anything to shake a stick at. No, definitely not. I think it just. I think I was expecting the bigger ones and not the like nine to twelve footers. So I was like, wait. You're only like nine feet. Where's the big ones? Like, bring those on. Um, but like, no, yeah, definitely get out of the cage amazing, and we'll, see, we'll, we'll talk amazing. about how big I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're, ta- you're, you're talking real big from inside those bars. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> only inside those cages, you know. Although I did just see a video, you guys. You can find it on the internet because I'm in a bunch of Facebook shark groups of a guy who jumps off his boat, his little like 10 foot boat, because he thinks it's a basking shark, which is huge and often at the surface. Yeah. He jumps off. And then he starts like paddling backwards because he's like, it's not a basking shark. It's not a basking shark. It was a great white. Um, You know, I would think that if you are a shark person, you would be able to tell the difference between a basking shark and a great white. They're not even the same color. Right. They don't even like move the same. I feel like in the, I mean, they do, but one's a lot slower. So yeah, basking sharks, you know, for folks who are unaware, basking sharks are the, the similar to whale sharks in that they are very large and they, they, they're filter feeders. Um, they don't have the same shaped head like the basking mm-hmm. shark's going to have the wider head, the, you know, any of the apex predators like, you know, the mako or the, or the, the tiger or the, the great white, they're going to have the pointed head so they can go faster. Uh, yeah, that's, that's his fault. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, if you do like sharks, I highly recommend uh, this poster behind me. Uh, Bad CGI sharks. It is uh, free on Tubi, and these guys are, are, are friends of mine. They are amazing. I saw this on Twitter that they were they were posting it, and we ended up getting an interview with them. They are. The movie was made for like fifty two hundred dollars. I love it. <laughs> and it's like they really lean into the bad CGI thing. It's, I'm all about that. It's it's one of the funniest movies you'll ever see. Like okay, it's. I mean, excellent. I told you, I have a I have a group of friends. I call them my Shark Week friends because that's mm-hmm. how we met. As we started hanging out for Shark Week, and we love watching those movies. Like my, we watched like well, some of us watched like the Six Headed Shark. Amazing, you guys! It's a shark that walks on some of its heads outside of water. You know, we watched Trailer Park Shark. We've watched so many different ones, you guys. So, well, I'm here for all things sharks. <laughs> Uh, one last shark thing, I'm sure. Well, I say that, but probably not. Uh, <laughs> we did our first interview ever uh, two years ago with the cast of Megalodon. <gasps> really? And as a result, won this award for best interview. 
I love it. I have some actual Megalodon like teeth oh. um, that you can find. Oh, love them. I just got them like a year ago. Actually, it's probably the beginning of this year, which feels like a year ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, it's been like six years. And I, no, it's just been March since March. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've got a couple like hammerhead. I've got a small hammerhead jaw and a uh, black tip of reef jaw um, from a shark. So you guys. I should have conducted my interview in my family room where yeah, all my right. shark stuff is. Well, it's funny because on the opposite wall here is my Jaws shrine. So I have like all my Jaws Funkos. Like I have all three variants of, of, of Bruce. So I've got the one with the, I've got the regular shark. I've got the one with the air tank and I've got the one with him eating Quint. And see, I've actually, when I teach classes about writing, I actually use Jaws, the movie, um, and um, and the director's quote about Jaws as a good writing example because, um, as many of you probably know, as you probably know, um, the shark kept breaking down. And so for so much of the movie, they didn't have a shark to use. And so the famous uh, Steven Spielberg quote is, you know, I had to make the water scary. I had to make the music scary because he couldn't produce a shark. And so that is what you have to do when you're writing. You know, you have to make the surrounding elements scary. You have to make what they hear scary. Even if the villain's not there, if the villain's not going to show up until the very end, something like that, you have to make everything else sitting up to it scary. Yeah, it's it's the heightening the uh, the the atmospheric tension. Yes, exactly. And, and especially with you know with a, with film, you know, you have the option of you know having a creepy score or you know having fog creep across the ground <laughs> as the uh, you know in the darkness as the person is walking. But if I'm you know sitting in my recliner reading that, I don't have any of that stuff. So you yes. really have to get into uh, the atmospheric sense. Yes. And that's as a good writer, you really want to focus on those five senses. You know, when you're thinking about world building, which is it's like setting. But in fantasy, it's it's more than that. It's how does the magic work? And, you know, are there kingdoms who's ruling all that stuff? But it is setting, too. And it is like, are there, is there fog? Is the fog brown? Is it, you know, floating? Is it clinging to you? All these different things make up the setting. And so your hope is that even though you're sitting there in your recliner, you're going to start to feel it creeping across your skin as you read. Like, that's the job of a good writer. Yes. It's basically when you're really immersed into a story, and I'm sure you've, you know, had this while you're writing and while you're reading as well, is as you're writing it or, you know, as the story is unfolding before you, you're not seeing the words anymore. You're experiencing the scene. Yes. You are there. You've been sucked into the book mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, and... You know, like I said, I haven't read a ton of your book because I didn't get it until late uh, this week. <laughs> um, but the this, the way you describe, you know, the 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 way people are dressed, the way people are looking at one another, like the even though it's it's you know for, it's a first person narrative, you're almost getting into the heads of the other people who are kind of looking around by the way you describe the looks of contempt that they have or. You know, mm -hmm. how unhappy they are, like the murmuring that's going on. Like, I could hear the murmuring as Cora's walking down to her throne. Like, Yes. Which I, is something she's had to put up with quite a bit, being the cursed daughter of King Midas. Yes. And that's uh, that's what I wanted to get into. Like, I uh, when I got, the, uh, when I got the, uh, the, the download so I could start reading it, um, as I was reading it, I was like, Okay, I think this this girl is the you know not not being aware of your other stuff yet. Oh, mm -hmm. I was like I I'm like oh you know this takes place in like the the universe of King Midas like that's what this is you know, 
And it's funny, so many people use that term as like, well, I guess I've got the Midas touch. It's like, do you actually know that story? Like, do you understand, like, you know, I have to explain that to someone. I'm like, like, oh, I guess I, it's like, do you know what that means? Like, it wasn't good. It's like, oh, everything I touched turned to gold. Yes, everything, your dog, your food, your friends, your family, everything. Yes, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't do anything because you're so cursed. And that's the story I wanted to explore is, you know, because in so many versions of the myth, he does turn his daughter to gold. Mm -hmm. So in my version, you know, she's been turned back into a living, breathing human being, but she's got leftover side effects because that has to have an impact on you. I mean, not only on her relationship with her father, but just on the magical side effects. You know, she has golden skin and she has some magic gold abilities as well. Um, so I really wanted to explore that story and kind of show that, yeah, you know, the Midas touch was a horrible thing. It can destroy families, but maybe they can overcome that. Yeah. So reading this, you know, I get the sense of, you know, I, obviously I'm going to have to go back and, and read the, the first book, which the is first one would help, a yes. touch of gold. Um, although I feel like, you know, you do a, a good enough job of kind of summarizing what happened without like... <laughs> Uh, being overly expositive you're not just like and then this happened and then this happened but like without having read the first book my sense is and you know and tell me if i if i'm off and again i've only read the first chapter of <laughs> a curse of gold uh, so there was some sort of strife or something going on in the kingdom he makes the deal so that anything he touches turns to gold to enhance his power to become richer because you know with wealth comes power Mm -hmm. uh, because you're able to buy armies and, and, and you know, fortify structures and, and so on and so on. And it turns out that he's cursed. And, you know, they try to hide it for a while, but they're unable to. And then that leads to ongoing strife within the kingdom. They try to depose him. He ends up uh, turning his daughter to gold and then was like, okay, I have to undo this curse no matter what. And I have to undo this curse to save my daughter i don't care what happens to me and there were some people that are loyal to him and his daughter uh because i imagine the daughter has some sort of pre-existing relationships with some of the people that are in the uh in the in the uh inner circle or at least loyal to the king mm -hmm. and then uh there's a massive battle involving lots of uh magic and and sorcery and whatnot and some of the people who uh you know, the, the the curse is reversed, but it takes a terrible toll on the king and his health. And some of the people who are who were not loyal to the king were still kind of angry and upset that he was he managed to hold on to power. And now someone else is coming in to challenge that as well. Yes. Yeah. People are not kind to those who've been cursed in this universe. Um, and so when, yeah, when someone else is kind of coming up to challenge that power, um, people are like, well, maybe we should just let them deal with it. You know, we don't want to be part of their problem. So it really is up to Princess Cora to save her kingdom and save her father and break the curse in this, this second book. Otherwise, she'll lose everything. Her father will lose everything. Um, and the kingdom might not be better off. So it's definitely a really um, fun adventure. A lot of Greek mythology in there. Um, mm -hmm. I always call them like Disney movies on steroids. Like, uh, you know, a lot of that kind of fun adventure. A lot of good uh, side characters as well. Um, just, just you know, your everyday breaking the curse kind of novel. 
Yeah, and it, like I was saying, like the way you you kind of set things up, like I can get that whole like Cliff's Notes version of mm-hmm. what happened in the first book just from that first chapter. But the way you kind of leave it ambiguous as to like you know this happened but how like you know mentioning sirens mentioning like all mm-hmm. these different things that happened like this this you know the um uh I'm totally blanking on his name but the guy who just got named captain of the armada Oh Royce, Royce yes yes cuz there was a lot of our names in the in the beginning Oh yes <laughs> I know there's some well and that's one of the things we talked about is like should they have more greek names more not greek names like different things like that um, so there's Royce, there's Rat, there's, you know, Hetty. There's lots of fun characters in there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in Hetty. Uh, I think she's going to be an interesting kid. Cause I like, you know, the, the badass swashbuckling yes. type women. Uh, oh, uh, you should read the first one then because Hetty is, is Princess Cora's cousin. And no one to spoil too much, but she makes her way onto that boat in a very interesting way and then makes her presence known. So... Yeah, the the well, that's what I was gonna say. Like that battle seems like I that's something I want to read. Like it's it's difficult to write a battle because, like you know, when you watch a movie, like the fight scenes are so elaborate sometimes. Yes. Um. So sometimes you're re- you're you know uh, you're reduced to oh, there were you know you know amazing flourishes and the steel yeah. sang as it as they the sword struck one another and you know you because it's like oh this guy did a backflip and you know <laughs> yeah it's it's tough so you you have the these two books what what was it about the the story of king midas that made you want to kind of explore that world because it's funny i was just talking the other day to someone about like uh i think actually last night talking about like people who take characters and put them in uh, different situations, almost like fan fiction. Like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a, a, a Sherlock Holmes story called uh, Sherlock Holmes and the servants of hell, where he's basically taking on the Cenobites from Hellraiser. <laughs> See, and I, I love, I love, maybe it's cause I'm like the third out of four children. So I feel like a forgotten middle child and I've like share being a middle child. Cause there's four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love writing stories about characters who are forgotten, who aren't, you know, who don't play as much of a role in the original myth, you know, in the King Midas story, his daughter doesn't get any lines. She's just there so that he realizes, you know, oh, it was really bad to turn things to gold because I just killed my daughter. Um, so I really wanted to to explore her story and how it would impact her to be turned to gold by her father. Um, and it was inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean, too, because I kept thinking about all the cursed gold in that movie and how they had to track it down. And and what if there was another way to track it down? What if there's another way to find cursed gold? Because in the first book, um, King Midas's cursed gold does get stolen um, by some pirates. Uh, so um, it's definitely a swashbuckling adventure where they have to go out and find it. And, and Princess Cora is the one who has to do it. And she's been locked away in her palace for years because she has golden skin and there's rumors swirling about her. Like she um, turns back into a golden statue at night or if you look her in the eye, you know, you'll turn to gold yourself. Um, so it's a much of as much of a coming of age story as it is a fun adventure. And so I just really wanted to, to bring her to the forefront and write about a strong female character who can save her kingdom just as well as, as any man can. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's no, um, and I think especially now, like we see more and more of these, uh, you know, stronger female characters. Like, I mean, I look at 
you know, the whole Harry Potter series where like, yeah, it's Harry, but it's really Hermione that like, does most <laughs> I of the know, heavy and I'm lifting. such a Hermione myself that I'm like, yes, go Hermione. Like she does most kidding. of the heavy lifting. Like <laughs> Yes, yeah. She's the smart one. And so I I'm like her, you know, every time a teacher would call on you in class, I'd be like the first one to raise my hand. So I have a special place for Hermione in my heart. So yeah. <laughs> So before we delve too much uh, more deeply into the books, I want to kind of switch tracks for a minute to talk yeah. about the fact that you love to travel. And we talked about the South, a South African shark dives. You've walked the Great Wall of China, which is something mm -hmm. that I would like to do. Uh, yes. Now, there's two other things that you have listed as far as your, your travel goes, and it's Ireland and Antarctica. So first, I want to ask, uh, was your trip to Ireland kind of like a trip to, uh, you know, kind of find your roots you know. Um, actually, I studied abroad in Ireland in college. And so I spent um, like an entire semester there living there. Oh, okay. um, but I did I mean, I did actually get to see a grave because my last name is Sullivan. So obviously very Irish. Um, I did get to see a grave there um, of a man who's pictured with one eye. And apparently Sullivan means one eye. So that could have been my first ancestor because hmm. um, it's in a very like old mound there. Um, but I didn't get to meet any like distant, distant relatives, um, which is a little sad, but I did get to go to some of the towns and places where my family's from in Ireland and I loved it. And I found some four leaf clovers when I was there because that is like a random skill that I have um, is finding four leaf clovers. So I did that in Ireland, um, but just beautiful. It's one of the places, again, I've been to over, over 60 countries. I've been to every continent and Ireland is still one of my favorites. Yeah, the other that's what the that's the next thing I was gonna ask. I see uh, Antarctica. Now, was there a specific uh, reason that you went to Antarctica? I have always wanted to go there. So my parents got us traveling when we were little. I mean, we would go to Alaska or China or different places, and so I've always had this travel bug inside me. I want to see as much of the world as I possibly can. And I think as a writer it's one of the best things I can do for my own writing is to mm. see different landscapes, meet different people, hear different stories. And in fact, I actually wrote a lot of my second novel, Tiger Queen, while I was in Antarctica, which is kind of unique because Tiger Queen is actually set in a very, very harsh, hot desert. And Antarctica is obviously doesn't feel like that, but Antarctica is actually one of the world's largest deserts yes. because of how dry it is. So all I kind of had to do was take you know, the swirling sand or the swirling snow and turn it into sand in my mind. And instead of, you know, going snow blind, you almost go sand blind in the book. And so I used a lot of that experience to kind of twist it around. And um, so my parents have actually been to Antarctica twice. And I was like, I really want to go. I want to see it. Um, by the time I was like 30, I think it was like I turned like 30, 31 when I was there. Um, but uh, it was one of the coolest experiences because if you go to South Georgia Island, which is kind of off the coast of Antarctica, between Antarctica and South America, you get to see all these penguins. I mean, just thousands upon thousands of penguins. Um, it's just an amazing experience. You get to go to like Elephant Island where um, Shackleton, if you know anything about Ernest Shackleton, um, he was there. We got to see his grave. And his story in and of itself is just so incredible. Um, if you guys don't know his story, please go um, check out Ernest Shackleton and everything he did in Antarctica and how he and his men were stranded down there. He had very little hope of making it back, of saving his crew. It took him years 
um, to get back once he and his a couple men escaped on a little tiny boat. They had to like navigate by the stars. And if they were off even a degree, he would be lost and his whole crew would be lost. It's a phenomenal story. Um, so yeah, so there's just that I wanted to go and see as much of the world as possible, which I've been very blessed. Um, you know, I'm not married, I don't have kids, so I can go, I can leave at a moment's notice if I need to and just um, go out there because I think that's, you know, I think it was St. Augustine who said the, the world is a book and if you don't travel, you read only one page. And I want to read as many pages as I possibly can um, to meet people and talk with people and just see what the world's all about. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Like I, would, you know, I, I have not left the country. I've been to very few states. You know, traveling was not something that I did a lot as a kid, but there are definitely uh, places around the world that I want to see. You know, Machu Picchu, Gobekli Tepe, yes. Tepe, uh, um, um, you know, the pyramids, you know, you know, mm -hmm. I want to see Giza, you know, the Great Wall yes. is another thing. I would love to go to Antarctica because I'm a huge fan of the thing. And I think, oh, you know, we watched that when we were down there on the I, boat. <laughs> they played it for us. I'd never seen it before. I mean, I you, you kind of have to like if you're there, you know? Yes. Yes. It's kind of like thing. They're like, OK, I need to I need to watch this. They played it for us. I will say uh, when it comes to Shackleton, there are people that might be familiar with it without realizing that they are familiar with it because his story was kind of co-opted by Michael Bay in one of the in the, the first Transformers movie. Mm. Um, it's been a while since I've watched that one. Yeah, it, but you know, they, they had the whole you know trip to South South uh, uh, South Pole and mm -hmm. that's how he they find the you know Megatron encased oh. in ice and so they. they kind of co-opted his story and turned it into giant robots um, <laughs> which i mean hey like that's you know no different than what i would do i would say you know i yeah. just i take fairy tales and i turn them into something different i add pirates and i add fun adventure or i have you know tiger queen about um a warrior princess who fights suitors in an arena to win her right to rule you know like there's so many things you can do with that oh which is kind of like um oh the greek story with the the golden apples and the 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 one with the uh, uh she wouldn't get married to any man who couldn't beat her in a race oh and the guy kept throwing the golden familiar. apples on the ground and that's how he beat her because he cheated oh because she would stop to pick up the golden i can't oh that's gonna bug me now but see and tiger queen is actually a retelling of a short story called the lady or the tiger yes you've heard of that one door number one or door number two yes yes, yes. <laughs> i read that short story in um i think it was like seventh or eighth grade and it stayed with me because if you guys don't know it has a cliffhanger ending and i've always wanted to give that book the ending it always should have had in my humble opinion <laughs> and see that's what's great about these um you know, public domain characters where you can go and you're like, oh, I'm going to tell this story or I'm going to tell the story a different way. Uh, we interviewed somebody recently, uh, Marcy Kate Connolly, who wrote Twin mm. Daggers, yes. which is uh, like a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, which so cool. Yeah. Like, you know, when you take see, that's the thing, like with with people who are um, who are very creative and it's like, I like this story, but. You know, it's not like, well, I think I could do this better than Shakespeare. It's right. I, think <laughs> I would like to take this in a different direction. And this is how I would have liked to see the story play out. 
Mm-hmm. Especially because so many people have, you know, a, like the Midas touch. So many people have a misconception. Oh, Romeo and Juliet's the greatest love story ever told. No, yeah. they they weren't even in high school and six people died. Like, yes, right. They were days. like 13 years old. There were a lot of death. Like they destroyed a lot of homes and families. Yes, so. they destroyed two families. Like, you know, it's West Side Story. You know, like West Side Story is a great retelling of oh, Romeo yes. and Juliet. Um, See, I just... I mean, as amazing as Shakespeare is, I'm not knocking Shakespeare here, but I love a happy ending. So anything that doesn't have a happy ending, I'm like, oh, no, that's not for me. Can't. See, I can I can go either way. Like, as a kid, I was always like, oh, it's so good. Like, this happens. And it's like, you know, it's it's difficult to find something, especially with a, uh, you know, when it's a, a titular character where the ending is not maybe what you had hoped it was. Like, mm-hmm. old Yeller, which <laughs> oh, yes. killed me as a kid. Uh, I don't think I've seen it in 30 years. I can't even watch Bambi, okay? Because Bambi's mom dies. Like, uh, that's yeah, and that's like right me. at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do. Like, you know, especially you know because you expect it's like, oh, this movie is called Rocky. It's an underdog story. He's gonna win. <laughs> oh, and he lost. Like people <laughs> right. don't realize that about the first Rocky movie. You know, like because there's seven more of them if you count the creed films um he loses that first fight spoiler alert for the 45 year old (laughs) movie um uh, the other thing i was gonna uh touch on is um i wouldn't have guessed you older than 27 oh yeah is that based off my appearance yes okay well that's actually really nice no um i'm i will be 33 this month actually um but I, 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 I look much younger. For those of you guys who cannot see me, you can look at my picture um, online, just author Annie Sullivan. But And I look older in that picture too because I have a lot of like makeup on. Um, but I get mistaken for a 16-year-old. I get mistaken for like an 18-year-old. Like I get carded going to like R-rated movies. Um, <laughs> I can definitely, well, I'll throw in the fact that you said you're five feet tall. Like yes. I can definitely see. It's like, uh, yes, I would like to... Uh... You should, like, really lean into that. Like, here is my ID as proof of my adultivity. <laughs> well, actually, so funny story. When I was studying abroad in Ireland, I had to go through customs. And, of course, I was going through by myself because I was, like, 21. I was in college. I was going there to study. I go through, and I have this, like, my sister hates it. I have, like, this hot pink coat that's, like, super warm. It's actually the coat I wore in Antarctica. Um, so I have, like, a pink hat that goes with it, you know. So I look like I'm, like, 12. And this poor lady in customs is, like, you know, I'm not going to do an Irish accent because I cannot. Um, but she's like, oh, did you have a nice flight? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, oh, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And I'm like, oh, well, they're just so friendly here. Um, and then she's like, where are your mom and dad? And I was like, well, they're at home. She's like, well, it's okay. You're going to be fine. And then I'm like, what? And she's like, how old are you? Like 12, 12 and a half. And I was like, uh, I'm 21. You have my passport right in your hand. Like it's right there. Um, so that happens to me, but then see, then it's like, there's like a really good side to it of like, I look really young so I can like get away with a lot. Or like, you know, if a salesman comes to my door, I'm just like, Oh, I'm sorry. My parents aren't home. Bye. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, like I'll use that. Um, but then like, I'll go to the pool and all the 16 year old boys are like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, no, 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 please. No, <laughs> you are a child. Go away. <laughs> yes. I'm like, there's a, there's a huge, there's like 15 years between us guys. Like it, it's not going to work. 
So you have an upcoming birthday. When is, I, I have a bunch of friends that have, uh, and my wife who have birthdays this month. When is, uh, when is October your October 29th. 29th, just before, uh, just before Halloween. Just before Halloween. That's why I always have huge Halloween birthday parties. So um, I have like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rear Window, mm-hmm. but um, there's the Grace character, uh, Grace Kelly's character in that movie never wears the same dress twice. And that's kind of how I am with costumes because going back to Ireland, I have an aunt who thinks we're related to Grace Kelly um, because we all go back to the same like small village in Ireland. So, you know, it could be that I'm like 456th in line for the throne. I don't know. I'm just making that up, but it could be. Um, but I have a whole costume closet because I'm like, I can't wear the same costume twice. Like, you know, so costumes are also like a love of mine. I have like one of those inflatable dinosaur costumes. Oh, yeah. I've got a shark costume. I've got it all. I, I, I too have the shark suit. Actually, last year for Halloween, uh, I had my old beat up. I had to get a new one because I wore it so often. Uh, is it an inflatable one or is it like a cloth one? It's like a cloth one. You just throw it. I get way too warm. Like I have a lower oh. than normal body temperature. So like, <laughs> I'm the norm- opposite because I'm so tiny and small and pale that my body is like, what's heat? No, my normal body temperature is around 95, 96 degrees. So oh. I, I take to the cold much better than I do the heat. Uh, but last year, my uh, my wife was Quint and I was Bruce. And she did such a good job. People were like, oh, where's your wife? I'm like, (laughs) right here. I love it. And they're like, oh, my God. Because she has uh, uh, bright pink hair, long, like past her shoulders. Like, so she's easy to find. You know, most of you Basically, she just kind of like throws a little makeup on. She's like, yeah, I'm Jem. Like, that's that's. So. I love it. I know that's a perfect costume for pink hair. Um, yes. But I think I love the Quint and Bruce one even oh, it more. Was, it was it was amazing. Like it was. <laughs> Are there pictures on your Instagram or something? Can we all go find? these? Oh, pictures? yeah. Instagram. Uh, uh, also. Um, you know the Facebook groups and everything, so yeah, they're they're everywhere. Uh, okay, I need to see these because, yes. like I said, I love costumes. So I, I will shoot you a message on Twitter, and I will I will send you. Those. Yes, please send me <laughs> those, um, especially shark costumes. I have been known for Shark Week to answer the door in my Shark Week and my shark costume for my friends. So yeah, I mean, I'm here for this, it's totally normal. It's yeah, super. I mean, normal, when you, you like, when you like, I mean, I, I named my podcast after sharks. Like, right. Exactly. This was uh, the birthday present my wife got me this year. A Aww. handmade pink shark. Like, folks <laughs> you can't at home can't see it, but uh, it is in on the wall of creators behind me, so I'm I sure people it. have seen it. See? There's just so much shark decor out there. There um, really is. I have the shot glasses. I have, I have the Jaws uh, drain stopper. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Like, Hopefully it's not like a drain stopper with like a little shark fin sticking up. You step on it every time you shower or something. Oh, it's, it's still in the box. It hasn't been used. Like, oh, you there know, you go. Much better use stuff. Yeah. You know, my my shot glasses, like, you know, I have the, the Sharknado bobbleheads, you know. I, yes, Sharknado. Such a classic. Uh, yeah. I have the, the Sharknado survival guide. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Um <laughs> I love. We'll just spend the next, you know, because like we haven't even touched on like cookie cutter sharks, which this are is my what favorite. I'm. This like, is what I'm drinking right now: the Mountain Dew um, Frostbite with the shark coming up out of the <laughs> out of the snow. 
<laughs> I love it. I should have worn my Shark Week. I just got my Shark Week gear a couple weeks ago because Discovery Channel was a little slow. Oh, see? You guys, you can't see it, but he's wearing an amazing shark shirt with a kitten on it as well. Like the, the kitten roping two, like water skiing on two great whites while two more jump off on the sides and there's a big bucket of chum. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. See, sharks, you guys, they I have, are I have phenomenal. Probably enough shark shirts to wear one a day uh, for a month. We need to be like best friends now because mm -hmm. I just don't have enough shark friends, you guys. You can never have enough shark friends. No, that's that's absolutely true. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, I'll have to have you back on uh, at another time to talk about sharks and stuff because that's oh, just yeah. yes. I can give you a little down because I've. I've gone swimming with them in the Galapagos Islands, at the Great Barrier Reef, you know, South Africa, in the Caribbean. So, yes. There is, there is a, and I've, I've said this to my wife a ton of times, uh, there is a place uh, not too far from where we go on a vacation every year in Cape Cod, in Chatham, Ooh. where uh, they do shark diving with the Great Whites. And I need to do that. Uh, and I turn 40 next year, so oh yes, that's got to be something that I do. Um, I want to hit up Guadalupe Island off of Mexico. Mm -hmm. Just the water there looks unbelievably clear, and just the amount of great whites there, I think, is amazing. So I would love, love to do one there. See, Chatham, Hard to get to. So. Chatham, over the last, I'll say, five to seven years, has seen an increasing uh, a seal population which mm. brings the sharks because you know the cape obviously being right on the ocean you know not too far from uh gloucester where uh perfect storm was set mm -hmm. you know you know and amity was essentially cape cod you know um there are so 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 many great whites that have been tagged like there are a bunch that haven't but mm -hmm. there's a lot that have been tagged uh, and I use the uh, the Sharktivity app that tracks Ooh. all of the sharks. It's from the uh, Atlantic White Shark Conservancy, mm -hmm. and they do uh, they they tr they tag all the sharks and they tell you where they've been over the past couple of days, past week, past month. So you can see all up and down. Um, I haven't seen one yet, but uh, I did see. Uh, I've been going to the Cape for my entire life. Because mm -hmm. my, my aunt lives there. And we did a couple of years ago see uh, Atlantic bottlenose dolphins, which I'd never seen in Ooh. my life. Okay. I got really excited because we went to the beach and I saw a fin and I was like, ah! ah. <laughs> uh, and I, I told my wife, she goes, no, you didn't. I'm like, just watch right over there. And she's like, she goes, are those sharks? I said, no, they're not. She goes, how can you tell? I'm like, well, they're moving in a parabolic swimming yeah. motion and the only animals that do that have blowholes because they come up just enough to get air and go back down sharks don't need to do that they just swim straight yeah so yeah i actually almost walked straight into a shark once in like a foot of water oh yeah yeah i was in a uh, turks and caicos which is my favorite place if they want to ever want snow it's my favorite place to go beautiful beach i was walking alone just in water like up to my ankles maybe mid-calf right at the surf line looking for some seashells um just not paying attention and I nearly walked straight into a shark. I don't know which kind it was. It 
it didn't look like it had a super pointy nose. It was a little one, probably like five, four or five feet. Um, and there were some people on the beach next to me who just like saw it happening. They were like laughing at me. They were like, haha, we saw that you were about to walk into it. And we didn't warn you. And I like jumped out of the water. I was like terrified. And they're like, eh, see, it didn't hurt you. And I was like, no, it didn't. It was just looking for breakfast. So yeah, um, and uh, five feet, you know, <laughs> five feet, uh, I would probably say around 230 pounds. Uh, right. Definitely not a small little like bigger than you. <laughs> much, right. I know. I'm like, I, I just want to go on the record. I am like five, one and a half, you guys. Okay. okay. So like, <sighs> But Not I would say a 230-pound a, a shark is definitely significantly larger than you are. Yes, yes, weighs quite a bit more. And then there was a man swimming like eight feet out, 10 feet out in the water, not very deep. And the shark just like cruised like right under him. It was fine. He was just chilling. So well, hopefully it was like a, a, you know, like a nurse shark or something. Not a. Uh, yeah, it didn't look. Do I that. mean, yeah, there were a couple times where, like, in the Galapagos Islands, I saw one, and it, it wasn't a ragged tooth shark. I mean, it had that kind of look to it almost, mm -hmm. but I think it was a Galapagos shark. Um, granted, I only saw it for, like, a couple seconds, but then again, the water was quite murky, and I was like, you know what? I'm done. There's no cage here, and that thing is definitely bigger than me. That one was probably, like, seven, eight feet in open water. So I, I would I would be fine with a, uh, with you know, swimming next to a great white not a bull shark. Real well, I mean, the bulls are way more aggressive. Like nobody swims true. with. You know the one that doesn't get me is the oceanic white tips, because those mm. things are like the trash cans at the the sea, like the garbage disposals. They will eat anything and everything. Mm. And I mean, honestly, like I don't know what you've heard, but they always say like they are actually probably the number one killers because they probably were the ones who attacked the um, the down ship, like the USS Indianapolis yep. and um, killed most of those sailors who ended up in the water and you just can't prove it. So yeah, there, there, I imagine there's going to be lots of, you know, lots of different ones out there that, yes, but they would probably be, you know, among the most numerous at that time. Hmm. So you don't have any desire to go to like Bimini in the Bahamas and uh, swim with all the bull sharks there? No, no, bull sharks. Uh, you know, those are just you know, you know, and and the bull sharks. From what I understand, the bull sharks are probably the ones that inspired Jaws because of that 1916 uh, attack. Because one of the things that people don't talk about, they always talk about the Jersey Shore, but they don't talk about the uh, the the two people that got killed upriver. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm here in Indiana and there are like rumors that there were bull sharks here back in like the 1800s that had some attacks because, you know, bull sharks can go into fresh water, you guys. Mm -hmm. So be careful. Be careful in those Florida canals. You got to be careful everywhere. Those bull sharks. Well, there's a uh, I don't know how much of a, a, a gaming person you are, but there is a, uh, a wonderful uh, independent game company that released uh, the game Maneater. Where you Ooh, play, not heard of this you one. play as a bull shark, <gasps> what? And you you start off in the Louisiana swamp, and you <laughs> gradually grow and get bigger, and you have to you know battle for supremacy against other other uh, aquatic uh, <laughs> aquatic foes. You start off with like you know little catfish and turtles, and mm -hmm. you will hate alligators more than anything in the oh. world because they keep killing me. But as you get larger and larger, you're eventually battling, like, sperm whales and orcas. Oh, man. But it's a revenge tale, and, you know, you are the hero of the story. I mean, it's not scientifically accurate. Like, you can okay, stop and okay. hover. You can... Um, <laughs> 
you can kind of like you, you can't swim backwards but you can just stop which sharks don't do you can right. uh you also get like uh as you progress different evolutions so i like the the bone evolution where you get like bone mm. outside of your skull and your fins okay. and it helps attack boats and it's it's and you can triple jump which is obviously not real so, like you so leap is out it, of is the it water. computer game is it uh on your phone it's on um playstation xbox and, and oh PC. okay okay i have it on playstation 4 and the best part is that it's it's almost it's supposed to be like a reality show and <laughs> oh, it's dear. narrated by chris parnell <laughs> so it's it's awesome and like there's all these like hidden easter eggs that you can find all over all over like the the, the ocean floor I love that because I hide Easter eggs in my book, so I love hidden little things like that. Well, there's there's one where you find uh, uh, essentially SpongeBob's house. Oh, that's awesome! Like, there's there's tons of little things like that. It's it's a lot of fun. It's one of those games where you like you want to just keep even after you beat it, you can just swim around and just like keep you know attacking. You know, they have all the, uh, like, oh, you know, go get these, you know, fat tourists, you know, hanging out oh. with flamingo boats or unicorn boats. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Um, but yeah, back to uh, back to your book, because, again, I said that was <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is the last we'll talk about sharks. And that obviously wasn't true. It always comes back to sharks with us, guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, is there a specific... Uh, a specific thing that you do when you're getting ready to write is there a way that you kind of get into that headspace is it you know music or tv or um you know do you travel somewhere like what's what's your your process there i do listen to music and i'm kind of odd in that i will listen to the same song on repeat over and over again for not even just hours i mean it can be days mm -hmm. like um and that just, it helps. And sometimes I'll change the song like midway through, like, you know, after like three days, I'm like, okay, well now I'm on a different part. I need different mood music. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the signals that I'm in the right places. I don't even hear the music. And again, I don't know if that's because I grew up in a very loud household with lots of siblings and dogs and things that I have to be able to drown everything out in order to like study or concentrate. Um, but I don't hear the music when I'm writing. And then it kind of gets to the point like, when I do start to hear the music, that kind of signals like I'm done for the day because I've come out of the world and I'm starting to hear the things around me again. Um, I'm not one of those people like I don't really eat or drink when I'm writing. I just sit and usually it's either on my couch or in my bed. Um, those are kind of my two places. I know you guys can't see me. I'm actually in my little library room right now, which is like floor to ceiling bookshelves, um, which I actually set up as my writing room when I moved into this house four years ago. And I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to write in here all the time. And I think I've written in here like twice. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just not, it's just not as comfortable as like sitting on a couch, relaxing, listening to music. Um, so that's kind of how it works for me. And I'm definitely a pantster, so I don't plot anything out ahead of time. I just write whatever comes to me and um because that's how i know i'm having fun is if mm -hmm. i'm intrigued about what happens next then i think my reader will be intrigued yeah what i what i like to do is you know when it comes to like okay this is where i know i want the story to go like i know i have a point a to a point b you know and depending on what else is going on like here are the map points like you know using it yeah. as traveling like okay you know i'm gonna go from you know, here to here to here to here. And like, I've plotted out all my stops, but I don't know what's going to happen in the journey. 
Yes, yes. Now, uh, do you have, uh, you know, because the way I do things, you know, I listen to music and I, I, the way you're describing stuff is similar to how I, I do things. Uh, I have ADHD and what I use is uh, I use the music to kind of keep that or I could even watch movies, you know, like I had two mm -hmm. TVs in my room till I broke one moving things around. But I, uh, I would have a movie on while I'm writing or I would have uh, you know, music on while I'm writing because I have, instead of medicating myself, I have something that takes that part of my brain that wants to run off and be distracted and be like, ooh, squirrel, you know? Like, <laughs> now, is that something that you've experienced or is this just, you know, the way you've trained your mind to work? I think it's just more, yeah, the way I've trained my mind to work, just kind of like, so I mean, my biggest vice is Facebook. It's all like, oh, I'll just get on Facebook. And then, no, you know, and, and it is hard because I do have a day job. And so it's, it is hard sometimes to find that energy to go then that evening or whatever, or on my lunch break or, or something to find the time to write. Um, but I do try to write a minimum of like 500 words a day. Sometimes that's like pulling teeth. And mm. sometimes I write 3000 that night, you know, it just, just depends on how well the story's going. Um, but yeah, it can be, it can be difficult, especially during a pandemic. I think it, it's harder to write because so much of your energy is going into just surviving and dealing with everything happening in the world. Um, so it's important to just have some grace with yourself too in your own writing at this point. Yeah, the, the pandemic has definitely been something that I find has both stifled and encouraged creativity. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I live in a small apartment in the basement of uh, this complex and mm -hmm. it's a it's a small place and my my office slash studio slash man room uh, at, when we moved in it was fine. Uh, but as you know, we, we got married while we were here, we have accumulated more and more and more and more stuff. And we have we outgrew this place about four years ago. <laughs> and I recently spent probably 15 hours rearranging this studio room because I needed a change wow. of scenery because I've been working <laughs> from home. I do have the option of going into the office now, but... <clears throat> I'm still not a huge fan of going out places. Yes, I'm high risk. I'm with you. I have been like stuck in my house since March. I like don't go anywhere. Um, so you would think that'd be great for creativity, but, um, and sometimes it is because like, oh, I should have all this time, but then you're just so tired of your own environment. Yes. Um, but I mean, the good thing is, I mean, that's the great thing about having an imagination is you do get to escape. And that's the great thing about books in general is they give you a way out of the place where you're stuck you know, without ever having to leave where you actually are. And that's why I love books. And that's why I write them. You know, I mean, I actually like I grew up with asthma. That's why I'm, I'm high risk. And so as a kid, you know, I couldn't watch TV because when I was taking my medicine, which was this big, you know, um, mask that I had to wear that would minister this mist to me is very loud. And so I couldn't hear the TV, but I could hear my mom if she sat behind me and would read in my ear. So books for me were a great escape. You know, I wasn't that sick kid anymore. I was Harry Potter under the stairs or a hobbit on an adventure or a princess, you know, fighting pirates, whatever it was. Um, so that's why I love books. And that's why I think they're more important than ever right now. I totally agree. Like, I, I think that, you know, the ability to, you know, create, um, I think also this type of environment has uh, allowed people to kind of delve into different aspects of their creativity where you know maybe you wouldn't have gone in the past like 
you know, I, I found that being home, I am a very gregarious person. Like, I love being out with my friends. I love going to conventions. I love talking about, mm-hmm. you know, talking to and about, you know, all kinds of different things, talking to people and like, oh, tell me about like this thing that you've made. You know, what is it? You know, what whether it's, you know, a, a painting or a movie or just tell me about your stuff. Let's talk. Let's, you know, and not being able to do that, not, you know, no conventions, you know, especially in October, it's killing me because we're big mm-hmm. horror people. And, you know, there's a, a convention that we've gone to for the past decade plus every single year. And it gets to the point where it's not uh, it's not a convention anymore. It's a family reunion because you only see these people once a year. People coming mm-hmm. in from all over the country. We had somebody come in from Australia you know, wow. because of this this one group of people that that we have that you know we've become friends with over the years, and you know it's like okay, this is my writing style, this is what I do, and then you know you start writing stuff that's maybe a little darker than what you would normally read because that's mm-hmm. reflecting your mindset. <clears throat> have you experienced yeah. stuff like that? Mm-hmm. I think so, and I mean I think it's I had my first kind of uh, idea for more of like a horror type. Book. not quite horror but like spooky thriller-ish you know like a little bit darker and I was like man I don't write that and then I was like hmm, but it seems interesting so mm-hmm. you know I'm just tucking that away for a rainy day we'll we'll see what happens there but yeah I think the entire environment around you changes what you write and what you want to write and I think we are in a very difficult period in the world's history right now there's there's a lot of just angst out there um so I think you know, it's more important than ever that I escape into the world of a fantasy, a world that seems a little safer sometimes, because that's my whole goal with, with A Touch of Gold. You know, it's about a character who who does have rumors about her, who does get bullied because of her golden skin and um, who really has to find her place in the world. And I want people who read my book to come out of that story a little bit more sure of themselves, believing in themselves a little bit more and maybe seeing the things that they thought were flaws about themselves might they might realize that those are actually their greatest strengths um and so that's what i want i want to bring hope um and and happiness through my writing i definitely can see that uh again just from the the limited uh the limited interaction i've had with the with the book so far again just the first chapter but there's definitely a a kindness and a compassion to cora but mm-hmm. at the same time there's this strength where it's like she doesn't really care what other people think but she also knows that she has to broadcast this this aura this this uh, this radiance about her uh, mm-hmm. you know like the whole thing talking about the crown at the very beginning like yes. which I thought was great although I did the one line that I came across and I thought it was very interesting <laughs> um, you know this is no, I, this isn't a criticism or anything I just thought it was interesting and I'm wondering if it's a type of foreshadowing or, you know, something that we're going to see a little bit more of down the road as far as, like, the attitude goes. Um, you know, saying that, you know, her father telling her that she should be so comfortable in her crown that she could sleep in it, which is opposite of the, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Mm-hmm. Which is the first thing I thought of, and it's like, should you really be that comfortable <laughs> if you're that comfortable, are you doing it right? 
Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a theme that's going to come up throughout the entire book. I mean, this this book is so much about Princess Cora learning what it is to be a leader. What does it mean to rule? Do you do you take everyone else's advice? Do you trust yourself? What do you do? Um, you know, and so that is a huge theme that you picked up on very early on about what does that mean? And um, yeah, and I think that I think it's so cool because you guys, you can't see it right now. But if you go and look at the cover of A Curse of Gold, it's got this beautiful silver crown and it's silver for a reason, because obviously um, you will discover why it's silver after you read the first book. Um, but yeah, it's got this beautiful silver crown and it's all about becoming the leader that she needs to be. And what what does that mean? Does that mean being true to yourself? Um, does that mean giving up part of yourself? Um, so, yeah, it's definitely her major journey in this book. Yeah. And. I think that's one of the things that uh, I like about, you know, good writing. You kind of tell the story at the beginning. Like, you introduce all these clues at the very, very beginning. You know, I don't know if you're a, a Game of Thrones fan, but there's a lot of things like that in the books where it's like the first chapter of what's going on. Like, this informs everything else that happens in the rest of the book, no matter how convoluted it seems to get. The first chapter, you can always look back at that and go, okay, I see where this kind of branched off and just became... uh, Because honestly, the first thing that I thought of, you know, immediately after, you know, reading that, that crown line was the description of the iron throne where it's not it's not smooth but like you know if you move the wrong way like you know it's very uncomfortable to sit upon because that's the the job of a ruler it shouldn't be easy you should be constantly like on edge and constantly you know aware that you are you know the the, the monarch yes yes which is something that definitely even comes up in the first chapter of a curse of gold where you know things are not easy and you make one mistake or, you know, something happens and it's on you, mm-hmm. you know, um, everyone's going to look at you and and have to figure that out. And you're going to have to be the one in charge and bring everyone back into line and get everyone focused again to save the kingdom. So it definitely, I mean, it's not nearly as gruesome as, as um, game of Thrones, but it does have those kind of threads in it where, you know, you have to, you have to pay attention. You have to figure out what it means to be a leader and you have to do it very quickly. Um, because if you slack off for a moment, someone else will step in and take that throne. Yes. Yeah. It's constant vigilance. Um, mm-hmm. now you had, you had mentioned that your, your mom would read to you and you mentioned obviously, uh, Lord of the Rings, which I think if anyone, uh, anyone who writes fantasy or reads fantasy, you know, there's always going to be some element of the Lord of the Rings that comes into it. <laughs> Um, one of the things that I always had uh, an issue with when it comes to Lord of the Rings uh, was the very dense writing style, but also the fact that everybody <laughs> had rhyming names if they were related. Uh, is that the inspiration for uh, uh, the two, the twins there? Was it Phipps and Thips? Yes, yes. Um, I wouldn't say that was the inspiration, but I do love the rhyming twin names. And in fact, um, I don't and I can't give too much away about them. But they're some of my favorite characters to write. They are just very, um, they're very goofy. They almost remind me a little bit of the Weasley twins yes. in a way as well. Yes. Uh, so I would say they were almost more modeled off of, off of them in a way. Because they're just, they're fun, they're quirky, but they've always got an angle. They've always got some sort of scheme that they're working on yeah. to make money and get rich. Which you would think in a King Midas world, they would know better. <laughs> they're a little less altruistic. Than, yes. Because <laughs> you know, the guy's like, oh... 
which one of your uh, which one of your <laughs> friends here has uh, heavy pockets? Which I like yeah. that. I like that. Uh, instead of deep pockets, heavy pockets. I like because uh, <laughs> I mean that obviously that's been used a lot. Now is that something else that you find that when you're writing, you know, you're like, ah, yeah, everybody knows what this what this phrase means. You know, like, oh, my friend has deep pockets, you know, like, let me come up with a different way of writing this because I want it to be unique to my universe. Like, are there <laughs> things that, you know, because obviously you're writing a story that uh, people are semi-familiar with, you know, the story of yeah. King Midas, even though most people aren't, like we talked about, familiar with the entire tale. Mm -hmm. um, you are taking uh, a familiar character in a... Uh, familiar-ish character uh, and kind of creating your own world around uh, such a short story uh, do you try to I'm trying to think of how I want to articulate this do you want to kind of bring a sense of familiarity but like have it be unique to you mm -hmm. I think so I think that's my goal you know okay. it is a Greek myth but I want to take that Greek mythology and present you with what's familiar, right? Like Dionysus is the god who who gave King Midas the touch in, in almost pretty much every version. There are different reasons, you know, sometimes it's because he saved a satyr, sometimes it's because he answered a root, like different things, right? Um, but I want to take what you're familiar with and then just kind of give it, a, I call it like a little oomph, a little twist, right? Like you think you know these things, like sirens, they make an appearance, you think mm -hmm. you know sirens, but maybe you don't know the whole story and you don't know how they were created. That even comes up in A Curse of Gold, like. You might meet some Gorgons like Medusa, um, but in typical Greek mythology, there are only three Gorgons. Um, so how do you get more, right? That's something that I created a um, a new sort of mythology of, of how Gorgons are created. I'll just, I'll just give you a spoiler, guys, because I love this story. So in my version, new Gorgons are created, you know, like um, when Perseus cuts off uh, Medusa's head, in my version, anytime you cut off a Gorgon's head, all the snakes that are on that head slither out and grow up to be new Gorgons. Hmm. Um, so that is how I created new Gorgons. Like I take what's actually there, what's in the myth, you know, her head getting cut off, all that kind of stuff. And then I just add to it. I just take it and I add a little twist so that the, the original part is there. I give a nod to that. It's like knowing the rules and knowing when to break the rules, right? So that's what I love to do. Um, so it is all about taking the original and then just putting my own kind of stamp on it and saying like, you thought you knew what, what Gorgons were and how they were made, but let's let's look at it a little differently. You know, like what does happen to those snakes when the head gets cut off and thrown into the ocean or, you know, something like that. So yeah, it's almost, yeah. Um, it's almost uh, a, uh, you know, like it, obviously the first thing I thought of was the Hydra. Um, yes, yes, exactly. It's almost like a Hydra. It's a, it's a cautionary tale. It's like, oh, are you really sure that this action is worth the consequence mm -hmm. it's like oh i stopped medusa hooray oh now there's 50 <laughs> now there's lots yes and plus you also get to see what happens when a girl who can turn things to gold comes face to face with a gorgon who can turn things to stone with a single look so um i kind of wanted to answer that question as well who wins that fight and how um, so if you, if you want to know, definitely check out A Curse of Gold, which is the sequel to A Touch of Gold. That's definitely uh, something interesting because, you know, being a, a, a fan of, of, of science and logic and rationality, <laughs> like that's something that I try to put into 
my stories as well uh, to the best of my ability. You know, obviously you can, you know, you can kind of tweak science to fit your, your, uh, although in your case, it kind of sounds more like alchemy. But, yes. Uh, it's I mean, a little bit more magic and all yeah, that kind of say, stuff going a, on. It, although I always turn back to the uh, Arthur C. Clarke quote of, uh, any sufficiently advanced technological uh, society would appear as would be indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that one. Yeah, I mean Arthur C. Clarke kind of knew what he's talking about. I mean, two thousand two thousand one. <laughs> right, right. You know. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. You know, when you look at fantasy, because there's there's so much that's been done. You know, it's like all right, mm-hmm. I have to differentiate myself i have to stand out somehow what can i do that is going to be different and unique and make someone want to hear my story and i think um you know just seeing that you've taken a a a look at or an alternate not an alternate but a continuation and expansion of the king midas story you know, mm-hmm. incorporating the Greek mythology, incorporating you know these fantastical elements of magic and 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 um, sorcery and and curses and you know there's you know I always, I always say there's only so many stories you can tell. It's how you tell that story. You know, like so many times, you see the all right. It's uh, you know this this orphan grows up with no parents on a desolate place and somebody comes to them one day and it's like you're the chosen one you're you know super special in some way and now we have to go off on an adventure and you go off on an adventure and something happens and you exhibit these abilities or skills and it's like how do i do this it's like i'll teach you to control them and then the wise old mentor figure gets killed and now you don't know you have to face the big bad guy and you don't know how to control your powers and you don't know what the full extent of your abilities are and you have to figure that out. So, what story did I just talk about? Am I talking about Star Wars? Am I, talking I about said Star Wars. That's what I went with. And that's the thing. Like, it's so many. You know, I even compare it to uh, Rocky. Like, you know, Rocky loses mm-hmm. his mentor figure in Rocky Three, and he has to go out and he has to defeat Clubber Lang, and he can't do it, and he loses, and then he has to go and he has to train and find an old. Uh, a, a former adversary who's now on the same side because it's a common enemy. Like Rocky mm-hmm. is a fantasy story. It Actually, really there's a, a really funny story. Um, so my dad is really good friends with the executive producer of all the Batman movies. Nice. Um, yeah. So he's done like every, you know, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. Batman and Robin, all of those. Right. Well, he also was really big into comic books. And back in the 80s, he wanted to teach, I think it was the U.S.'s first comic book class at Indiana University. Right. And he went to the dean and he said, I want to teach this this comic book class. And the dean said, there's no value in comic books. Right. They're just silly stories. Mm -hmm. And so this producer um, said to him, he said, "Okay, well, tell me the story of Superman. And he goes, well, this kid gets put into a pod and sent away from his planet and ends up here and ends up saving people. Right. And he said, "Okay, now tell me the story of Moses. Well, Moses gets put in a basket and sent down the river and adopted by people and ends up saving everybody, right? 
And so again, it goes to your point of a lot of stories are the same, but that alone convinced him that comic books had value and he was able to teach that class. Um, so even though stories might be similar or have, you know, similar themes or stories, like there's still value in them um, and they can change the world. Mm -hmm. No, I, I totally agree with you. Like that you, you know, you might think of things as, you know, because of the medium in which they're being presented, that they have less value intrinsically than something else. It's like, well, you know, your book has tons of pictures in it, you know, and you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's far fetched and fanciful. And it's like, is it any more like you teach, you know, all these different mythologies like. Yeah, right. And there's such a stigma out there against young adult writers like myself. I mean, even when I was applying to graduate schools, um, one of my advisors told me, he's like, if you tell them on your application that you want to write young adult or that you want to write fantasy, that's probably going to be an instant rejection. They don't want to teach that. Um, and I was very lucky. I ended up going to Butler University where they had someone on staff who wrote young adult books um, under a pen name. And so I was able to work with them. And I mean, we had people there who were writing ghost stories and stories about Bigfoot and different things. And so I didn't feel out of place there. Whereas if I had gone to another school, I might have very well, um, you know, been stifled and afraid to write my books because I wrote a, a touch of gold as my master's thesis um, for my creative writing degree. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's just there is such a stigma out there against people. And I wish I wish people would give all sorts of, of media and, and writing their due. I mean, everyone loves something different and they shouldn't be looked down upon for that. I think that, um, you know, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I think certain things coming into popularity have really helped that, like, you know, I loved comic books when I was a kid and like, mm -hmm. oh, comic books are stupid. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Tell that to Disney now. Right. With their multiple billion dollar franchises like, oh, comic mm -hmm. books are dumb. It's like, oh, I, who's this purple guy? It's like, oh, I know who that is because I read the Infinity Gauntlet in the early 90s. So I know exactly right? what's going on. Um, yes. And fantasy, you know, thank you, George R.R. R. Martin, for mm -hmm. a Game of Thrones. People see like, oh. Like, oh, this is great. Like, there was, you know, there's swords and zombies and magic. And I'm like, yeah, kind of like a fantasy novel. No, <laughs> right? it's not fantasy. There's a giant riding on a mammoth to attack <laughs> an 800-foot-high ice wall made of magic. Like, there's waves of zombies, like, rising up. Like, like what are See? you talking about? There's a dragon. There's three dragons. <laughs> yes, and those so same people would make fun of us. Like, I mean, back in high school, like I read the Wheel of Time series and I read a lot of the Game of Thrones books, you know, before back before they were popular. Yeah. Um, and yeah, people would be like, why are you reading these massive fantasy books? I'm like, because they're amazing, you know? Like, they're such rich worlds. And uh, I just, so I love intricate them. intricate and so well done. Like, the, mm -hmm. you know, the imagination and everything. Uh, so I know we're a little bit over our time, but uh, I'm, I'm having a blast chatting with you. Yeah, I'm good to go. I don't have anything else to do today. So, <laughs> so uh, good, because I have a few more questions. Um, oh, wonderful. So was there a point that you ever reached that you were like, I like writing, but I, I don't know. I, some of the stuff I write is just, you know, it's too crazy. It's too far-fetched. And if you did reach that point, what kind of brought you back from that to be like, you know what, 
maybe my ideas aren't that crazy after all. You know, I'm, I feel like I've reached a point more where I was ready to give up just because it's such a hard industry to get into, you know, like I would, I got rejected by over 100 literary agents. I mean, there'd be times I get six rejections in a day. Um, I think that was really hard, but as far as the actual writing part, you know, I mean, you guys could get into, at home, can't see this, but I have books surrounding me on all sides. And sometimes when I get to that place, all I do is pick up a book and I read a sentence and I'm like, I could have written that sentence, you know, or I think about the fairy tales that we have today, you know, about a girl who uh, pricks her finger on a spinning wheel and ends up in basically a coma, right? Um, like, you know, if you think about how far fetched some of those are, like a girl who gets stuck into a tower and has super long hair and people climb up, you know, the more you take those out of like common knowledge and really examine them, they are all weird, right? So it's okay for your own writing to be weird and to be far fetched and to be out there. Um, just as long as you recognize the rules that exist in your own writing and make sure you're consistent, then you're fine. Um, and so I think that would be my advice is, is don't worry about being too crazy. I mean, someone came up with Sharknado, okay? Mm -hmm. I know we're done with sharks, but you know, I've someone pitched a, a Sharknado idea and look at it, it totally took off in its own way. So never be afraid to try something new. Um, and even that goes to the idea of, you know, I actually encourage you to try new things because if you try to write to trends, like if you're like, oh yeah, I want to write about vampires. Like by the time you write the book, get it revised, find an agent, get it published. It's going to be like two, three, four years. That trend has come and gone. Like it is, it is bye-bye at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. So never write to trends, write what you love. And that's what's, that's, what's going to be um, the best, I think for your own writing. You know, it's funny is, uh, I had the exact same conversation last night. I did a, uh, uh, I've been doing a live uh, Trivial Pursuit horror, oh, yeah. horror tournament, and we had a few people on last night, and I said the exact same thing, and I said the, and I used vampires as an example. <laughs> because, I mean, honestly, how often do vampires come and go? Like, it's a cyclical thing. I have heard they are coming back slightly, you know, because Stephanie Meyer did just release a new one. And I figured there's another big YA author who just released a, um, a vampire book as well. And I mean, again, but I mean, even if you look at Stephanie Meyer, she gets so much just hate for her writing her books. And I'm, I won't lie. I loved her books in high school when I read them, they were like right up my alley. Um, but honestly, what she did for young adult is amazing. She blew that category wide open. And I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking with you today if it weren't for her and her books, you know, love them or hate them. She, she did so much for that category. So my thoughts on Stephanie Meyer, I'm upset with her because for one reason and one reason, and it's not <laughs> even her fault. Uh, it's because we got the 50 shades of gray series as a direct oh, result, yes. mm -hmm. which yeah, is no, one of the I worst things. It, <laughs> no, I, I, I was working at target at the time and oh. we got some of the books and I would open it up and I would just pick a random spot and I would start reading it. And I'm like, I'm like, if I took a box of alphabets and threw them <laughs> on the floor, I could come up with a, with, with better writing than this. Like it, that to me was frustrating. Now I will say that I have, I have written a vampire book and, uh, someone told me, well, I think the vampires in twilight are better than your vampires oh. at the time. I had never, I was not familiar with them. So I was like, well, I cannot speak intelligently to that one way or another. So I read all four of those books. I thought they were incredibly mm -hmm. well written. Um, I think one of my favorite parts was when um, 
when the uh, Edward and Bella, I, w- I was going to, I almost called him <laughs> Bedward. Ugh. Edward and Bella break <laughs> up and she goes into that deep depression and you just have the pages where it's like September and it's blank and October and it's blank. Mm-hmm. Like, over And I was like, that was a brilliant piece of writing. I thought that was really, really well done. And she's a good writer. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, it's the way it was kind of depicted on screen, you know, and whatever, you know, whatever your thoughts are, you know, and, and that stigma still sticks to uh, to uh, Robert Pattinson. People are like, oh, I can't believe the sparkly vampire guy is is going to be Batman. It's like, have you ever seen anything else he was in? He's a phenomenal actor. Right, right. Oh, those poor people who get, like, pigeonholed or, like, yelled at for one single, you know, role that they had. Like Exactly. And it's, you know, to touch, kind of to touch on your point about, you know, coming up with ideas that are crazy like a sparkling vampire that's never Mm -hmm. been done that's very interesting um but the uh you know like the whole sharknado thing uh, a lot of people use that example um you know i use that example a lot when talking because it's you know still fresh in people's minds culturally Mm -hmm. but the example i always used because i thought my stuff was terrible and i was like i can't write anything anymore is the mangler by stephen king i don't know if you're familiar with that i'm not a huge like stephen king fan because he writes a lot of horror and i can't can't handle horror but i mean i know of his stuff it's about a haunted laundry machine that comes Mm -hmm. to life and escapes and kills people and (laughs) it happens because like somebody was washing something and it had like bits of a specific uh flower in it and then you know a young girl cut herself and so now it's got the blood of a virgin on it and now it you know this happened like all these things just happened to coincide and it brought this machine to life and it was escaping and killing people and it's like (laughs) they made a movie and they made a sequel wow so i was like all right nothing i could ever write would be more like wacky and off the wall Right. I mean, I feel like I saw this movie. I didn't see the movie. I saw the description on my TV guide for like a tire that becomes sentient and like starts attacking people. Yeah, rubber. I think that was like what it's called. Um, So like, guys, your idea is never going to be as off the wall as any of those. So just write it. You never know. I mean, maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll be awful, but you'll never know unless you try. And as my professors um, always used to tell me, you know, it's like the best ideas they've ever heard for novels were shared over bar stools or dinner or something and were just never written. And you don't want that to be what happens mm-hmm. to you, you know? Like, just get out there and write it. You never know. See, that's why I'm such a huge proponent of, you know, independent folks. You know, I'm, you obviously, you know, I will watch the Disney films. I'll go see the Marvel, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big Warner Brothers releases. But I'm also a huge proponent of the folks who are not constrained by the thoughts of a big studio saying like, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, for folks who are tired of the, the remakes, the, the prequels, sequels, reboots, spinoffs, like it's like, Oh, where are there? Where are all these original ideas? It's like, they're all around you. Like you can find them. Like yeah. your books, this a phenomenal, like you're taking things that have already like, you know, come across the, the cultural consciousness mm-hmm. and, you're taking them in a crazy direction that, like, I, I never thought that I would read a story about King Midas's daughter going on a swashbuckling, swash, <laughs> yeah, swashbuckling, swashbuckling, you know, ocean adventure, like, with explosions and, and you know, 
the crazy armadas. Like this is in, this is insanely interesting, and you do it so well. Like I said, like I can, I know the entire backstory of the first book from reading this first chapter. Obviously, I don't have all the details. I don't know all the you know the the nuance. And but it just makes me like okay, this is really interesting. I want to know how I got to this point. So, you know, that I think piquing the the audience's interest is one of the more difficult things you can do. And I think, you know, coming up with a good title, a good cover. You know, they always say don't judge a book by its cover. But like <laughs> yeah, that's why cover artists make so much money. Like you have yes. to, like if you know, folks at home can't see it, but you can kind of see it. If I turn my light on a little bit. Uh, these two posters behind me, they're in a, in a series. This is if you give a bunny a beer and if you give a bear a bong. Like, it's – those are good uh, ideas. They're they're well-written. The art is amazing in them. Um, they're fun stories, and it's stuff that's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm taking someone else's concept and I'm making it my own, and I'm gearing it towards a totally different audience. I think the yes. biggest thing that people associate, uh, and we we've talked with several uh, young adult authors about this, is the stigma of oh, it's young adult, so that's kid stuff. I don't want to read it. I myself was of the the same uh, same mindset for a long time. I was like, oh, Harry Potter, that's kid stuff, young adult. Yeah. Then I started reading it. I'm like, whoa, this is this is dark, like. Yeah, this these things like these kids are essentially like, you know, in fifth grade and like they have to fight things that will suck your soul out. Like that's that's a different challenge than in my day. I (laughs) recall that. But like young adult doesn't necessarily mean like Sesame Street. Like that's not what you're dealing with. There are still themes of, you know, interpersonal relationships, you know, complex human emotions, you know life mm-hmm. and death and and you know betrayal and treason and treachery like there's so much that goes into it it's just there's no difference between you know the stories that say you write and the stories that George R R Martin writes other than they they have the exact same things that will happen but they're just not detailed as graphically Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're you know, not as dark, not as graphic. Yes, like that's you what could, I would say. You could, you could say like, oh, you know, and then, you know, they cut the Gorgon's head off and this is what happens. As opposed to what George R. R. Martin says, like, you know, as the sword sliced through muscle and sinew and, you know, like, and really delving into the gory details, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's that difference. It's just, you know, it's the difference between PG-13 and rated R, like, Mm-hmm. The story, like, uh, some of the stories will be similar. It's just, you know, is there nudity and excessive swearing? Like, you know, and even PG-13 stuff has gotten, you know, a little more lax as far as what it can it can depict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even in the young adult world, I mean, there are a lot of books that are coming out now that have a lot more content in them that was not there before. Um, And there was for a while, there was a um, category called NA, which was new adult, Mm. Um, but that's kind of faded in and out with time. Um, So yeah, it's just this weird spot where like some have a lot of that graphic content and some have none. And so it just spans the gamut between young adult um, 
so I'd be, I'm, I don't know, I'm interested to see what happens to these books in the next couple of years of if they keep spanning older or if they almost break it into two categories. I'm, I'm interested to see. It's almost like the, uh, you know, for people in, in my my age demographic, so a little little older than, than yourself, <laughs> um, like the difference between the Goosebumps books and, say, the Fear Street books. Hmm. Like, little different... Um, but see, I, I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with either of those approaches. If you're telling a good story, you're telling a good story. Like uh, being a, a, <clears throat> a large part uh, of the horror community, you know, one of the things that we notice all the time because we see a lot of movies, we read a lot of books, we watch a lot of TV shows. Uh, if you are not good at telling a story, you will, it's like you'll try to distract from that. It's like, oh, look, there's some boobs running down the street. You know, like, it's like, yeah, but your your story is still terrible. Like, yes, like I'm I'm not 14 anymore. Like, that's not that's not gonna do it for me. Like, if you if you can't tell a story without you know throwing in gratuitous nudity or or you know over the top uh, you know death scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you should rethink what you're doing. I mean, there is there is absolutely an audience for that. There's absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, a, a niche. Uh, I shouldn't even call it a niche because it's such a wide a wide audience now. But I mean, yeah. you see a lot of the slashers from the '70s and '80s that you know they really didn't have much substance to them, but there was a lot of, you know, a lot of nudity, a lot of sex scenes, a lot of, uh, you know, over the top, um, you know. Uh, and, and I can understand some of the over-the-top um, violence and, you know, as, as uh, special effects technique, techniques have, have gone on. And, you know, there's almost like a competition within that effects world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, oh, what can I do? You know, I did this and people liked it. Can I do better? Like, you know, we talked about The Thing, which is, to me, the pinnacle of special effects, practical effects in a film. Um, I don't think there's anything better. But, you know, you throw in something like American Werewolf in London, which does have nudity, but it's kind of like in the in the background. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the guy's having a conversation with his buddy and he just happens to be at a porno theater. Like, that's just that's just what is going on. Like, it's not the focal point of the of the story. Like, that's not the main the main uh, for lack of a better term, the main thrust of it. It's uh, it's all about, you know, for for a lot of people, it's about that transformation scene. Like, mm-hmm. you know, most people if you've only seen it a couple of times, you're like, oh, I don't remember anything that happened in that movie, but that transformation scene is amazing. <laughs> you know, so if you have a story and, like, you have a, uh, a good story that you can tell, because people like that movie, mm-hmm. and then you come up with, like, man, that one scene, though, like, I really like this, and this was the best part, and you start telling people, like, man, you have to see this movie because of this transformation scene. That gets more people interested. It's like, all right, well, you know, I trust this person's opinion. You know, they're not mm-hmm. easily, they're not easily impressed. So I think that's what you know, as writers, that's what <clears throat> folks like you and I try to do. You know, where you're like, okay, how do I tell the story? Uh, because just the subject matter, like the whole plot, like that's that's intriguing. It's like, all right, all right, that sounds good. You know. Because you also have to summarize your story without giving anything away, and 
you know, kind of draw the reader in, then that's where the the the, uh, the title comes in. That's where the cover art comes in. And you're like, okay, this is interesting. Then you got to grab them right at the beginning, which you oh, do. Yeah. Like, I think you do a really good job of like describing your world without being overly expositive. You do a good mm-hmm. job of introducing the characters. You get into their heads. You kind of understand, you know. It's not a. It's not like a fifty-page chapter where you're like really delving into all this, <laughs> you know. Bas- you know, I can tell from the beginning that there is a. The king has a very tenuous uh, hold on not only his health but the kingdom as a whole. Like there definitely seem to be some plots going on, uh, despite this you know grand ceremony that's that's happening. Um, you know, I didn't expect. Uh, anything overly crazy? Like I wasn't, you know, thinking it was going to be like red wedding levels of <laughs> of, of uh, intrigue and 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 treachery, but I had the hint. It's almost like the the stillness before a storm. I had the hint. I'm like, okay, something isn't right. Something is going to happen, and then we see what happens at the end of the of the chapter. You know, there she is. Kill her whoa wait what like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's definitely a little a line to draw you in you know and that's what you want as a good writer you want a good strong opening line and then every line you just want to keep them wanting more until you get to that end, that hook at the end of that chapter yeah i was i was uh rereading it this morning and i was just like (sighs) i should have gotten up uh, gotten up earlier like i could read more i i mean for me and uh, I'm I'm looking around at your room there. I'm sure you're the same way. I much prefer to have the physical copy in my hands, as opposed yes. to reading it on on my phone. Oh um, yes. So I'm I, I definitely have to pick this the the two books up uh, to start, and then obviously work my way onto uh, Tiger Queen because that oh, yeah. your style to me um, is very. Uh, it's it's intriguing like it gives you enough information but at the same time allows you to draw your own conclusions Uh, I prefer stories and I think this is another good uh, tactic by writers uh, and I'm sure uh, you'll agree is don't go into too much detail of what the characters look like allow your audience to kind of see themselves in specific mm-hmm. characters like we know what Hermione looks like we know what the Weasleys look like we know what Harry looks like so it's hard for unless you're you know like we talked to um, uh, Hannah Howard who did um, oh my god uh, um, the sun uh, restart the sun ignite, ignite the, the sun, sun ignite something. the sun okay uh, and she uh the, the, I was getting it caught. There's a Black Veil Bride song called Resurrect the Sun. Uh, so it yes. was kind of jumbled up. Uh, and she was like, yeah, you know, I love Harry Potter. I consider myself, you know, because I have the red hair. So, you know, I'm I'm like one of the Weasleys. And it's like, that's great. But, you know, reading through yours, it's like I could identify with a number of different characters. I mean, obviously, Cora, you know, it's like she's bright gold. So... <laughs> It's a little more difficult to be like. Yeah, didn't quite feel like, like her, did you? No. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you can. It's like, this is their name. This is what they do. 
Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, this guy was five foot nine and, you know, 185 pounds or, you know, this guy had, you know, you know, striking green hair and you know, it's, you don't <laughs> see, do and that. that's like, I love writing plot. So character description to me, again, yeah, I want you to see yourself in the character, but I don't want to give you too much. Like, I don't want you to, you know, be like, okay, this is exactly what he looks like. Like, I want you to be able to imagine that person, how you think he or she needs to look. Right. And if you are drawn to a particular character, you can see yourself in that. And that just makes you want to, you know, be that character more and more. You know, like, you know, I bring up Game of Thrones a lot, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a master class in writing. But even then, he's like, OK, Jon Snow was looks like this. I mean, with his story, you know because of family lineages like you know describing what somebody looks like is very very important um Mm -hmm. you know and it's like and he was wearing these boots and these pants and this shirt and like you know like every single thing is like this is what he looks like so there is no you know room (laughs) for well you know he said he's got brown eyes but i've i'm kind of look like no you don't look like him at all (laughs) and you know, I think that when you have like a multitude of characters, and you, uh, you know, they they have a lot of different roles to play. You can kind of look at them and be like, okay, you know, I kind of see myself as that guy. You know, I might not be, you know, the hero or the prince or you know, the the brave, you know, captain, but like that dude, that that mercenary, like it reminds me of me, or like that princess. You know, she's got a lot of the same characteristics I do, or. <laughs> You know, you find this secondary character and, you know, there are certain characters that you're kind of drawn to because of what they are. Like there's a um, there's a story in my book called Winter's Discontent and I based the look of the character Winter and the name on a random Star Wars character who is uh, essentially the, the nanny for the Organa Solo children <laughs> in the expanded universe. And she's like, they use her as a spy because she has this like eidetic memory. Like she remembers everything that someone says. She remembers like, they're like, oh yeah, just, you know, go here. And like, she'll go through like this building that, you know, the, the, you know, Han and Leia and Luke can't go to. And she'll come back and like, all right, here's a detailed map. And like, here's a fern that should have been watered. And it was right <laughs> next to this. Like, and it's like, that's a cool aspect of a character. And I like the way she looks, you know, white hair and, you know, mm-hmm. bright eyes. It's like, oh, that's a really cool look for a character. Then obviously I have another character who's completely opposite with like hair like black silk and like bright green eyes. And her name is Vendetta. Like, you know, like these cool names that are uh, character descriptions, you know, like the one I came across in your story, uh, Captain Skulls. And I'm like, oh, he's probably a good guy. you you get those characters every now and then where it's like you know it's like oh who's that oh that's uh victor von doom oh i'm sure he'll uh turn out to be a a a stand-up guy seems like a great guy yeah 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 yeah. he will definitely never you know seek to uh empower himself and use it for for evil no no victor von doom it's like no 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 you should write a story just about victor von doom and have him be like trying so hard to be a hero because he doesn't want to live up to his name, you know, story idea right there. Are you, are you familiar with who that is? No, I'm not. So I'm probably stealing a name. <laughs> no, Victor, Victor, I use that name specifically. Um, he's, uh, 
the main antagonist of the Fantastic Four in the Marvel comics, oh, okay. Doctor Doom. Like, <laughs> and he is very much a bad guy. But I just use him because it's like, yeah, with a name like that, it's just not like Baron Von Butterfly. Like, <laughs> right, right. And I think that's another good uh, storytelling technique that, um, that. Uh, Again, I use George R. R. Martin because this is this is what he he likes to do. Um, when you read Tolkien, like you know who the good guys are, you know who the bad guys are because the good guys. It's like, you know, look at how he describes the elves. Mm. They're all like the pinnacle of you know human perfection and beauty, and it's like all the good guys are are pretty and and you know you know just so nice to look at and all the. <laughs> All the bad guys are are lumpy and ugly and and you know gross and you know when you look at you know like Martin stuff, it's like oh well this you know uh, Cersei Lannister is you know one of the most beautiful women in all the Seven Kingdoms and she's also one of the absolute worst <laughs> you know and you know you you get a lot of that. You know, it's like just because, mm-hmm. you know, someone's outward. You shouldn't be able to look at someone in like the old Westerns. Like, oh, he's got a black hat, bad guy. Like, <laughs> got, he's twirling his mustache. Yes. Clearly not a good guy. Oh, he will be definitely tying someone to the train tracks. So. Yes. yes, someone's getting tied down there. Like there's, there's, uh, it's, it's an old trope, but like, I, I like the fact that it's kind of going away more. I like more of the. Uh, characters that you're not entirely sure, you know, like you brought up the Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow. Is he a hero? Is he a bad guy? Like, what is he? Yeah. There's actually a character in A Curse of Gold. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he is actually based off of um, Captain Jack Sparrow. He's kind of my version of him. And so, yeah, you're like, is he good? Is he bad? Do I like him? Do I hate him? I'm not even sure. See, I'm I'm a fan, uh, and I'm interested in your thoughts as well. I'm a fan of anti-heroes. You know, guys Mm. that are uh, they do things for the greater good that might end up uh, causing terrible pain and anguish. Like I look at, um, you know, the, the the popular ones, you know, Deadpool or Wolverine mm-hmm. or The Punisher. Uh, but to a greater extent, somebody like uh, Ozymandias from uh, Watchmen. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I watched I watched the movie a long time ago. It was like ten years ago, though. Essentially, the his plot was to bring everyone on Earth together by convincing them that there was an extra dimensional threat. And uh, mm. in the in the comic, uh, in the book, obviously he makes it seem like it was Doctor Manhattan that causes a nuclear explosion. But in the comic and the subsequent TV show, which if you haven't seen, sweet zone, I, I uh, yeah, see it see it it's amazing and it's got one of those insane cliffhanger endings that <laughs> and there's no plans to do a second season uh, but well then it. i'm gonna have to write one because you know clearly i can't stand cliffhanger endings so. uh, this one you might you might want to because i don't like cliffhangers i like i want to know what happens but this one i was like no this is this is the perfect way to end it uh he drops a squid from another dimension you know it's kind of like that old reagan quote i think of how quickly we would forget all of our differences if we were facing a, a threat from outside the planet something along those mm-hmm. lines mm-hmm. and he kind of does that but in the process kills millions of people mm. and it's like you killed millions of people yes to save billions mm. so it's almost like 
in his eyes, the ends justify the means. He's not the villain. He is a hero. What is your take on a character like that? And, you know, do you have any favorites that you like? Well, I always go back to, um, you know, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, has a quote that says, every villain is a hero in his own mind. Um, And that's something that I always try to adhere to in my own writing is you can't like, you can't just have that mustache twirling villain. You know, you have to have someone who has a backstory, who has a reason for doing what they're doing. It could just be because they want power, because they want money or because they don't have another way to go forward in the world that makes sense to them. This is what they know and do. I mean, there's so many different reasons. But I do like that kind of anti-hero kind of person. I think they can have such a deep storyline and bring so much to a story um, that you don't get otherwise. I think, you know, and this is a a conversation that comic book fans have all the time. Um, You know, if you have a hero, like, say, a Batman, like, I'm not going to kill because if I kill, then that's going to make me just as bad as the villains that I fight. Mm -hmm. Sure. But... You know, everyone that the Joker has killed since the first time you had that opportunity, every time you have taken him into custody and he escapes and kills, those deaths are all on you. Mm. You know, guy like the Punisher, like his enemies don't come back to haunt him. Like, <laughs> you know, they don't kidnap and kill his sidekicks. They don't hurt his family. I mean... I mean, that's why he became the Punisher, because his family's dead. But the the point remains valid. Like, it's like, okay, you are a bad guy. You're coming after me. You're coming after my family. You know, I can't allow that to happen, and there's only one sure way to stop you. Like, I'm fine with characters like that. Like, I get Batman's sense of duty and justice, but how many thousands of people have died mm-hmm. you know and that's like the whole plot line of the uh under the red hood comic arc like why couldn't you kill the joker like you know it's the whole it's it's excellent and if you haven't read it i i don't want to ruin it for you okay no i haven't so i need to i, need to check this. I don't okay. read enough comic books i need to there are some great great stories and under the red hood is one of them okay um it's it's one of those things where you know again like we talked about earlier the consequences of your actions you know cutting off the gorgon's head yes you stopped this one but now you've created so many more you know i think that's you know the other thing that i always like to say is uh you know like kind of touching on your tom hiddleston quote you know every every villain is everyone is a hero of their own story they Mm -hmm. always are like that's Mm -hmm. just the way it is you never think that you are wrong Reminds me of the quote, uh, only sane men question their sanity. Madmen are always completely assured of their rationality. (laughs) Um, But most heroes create their own villains. You know, um, I look at Two-Face. You know, I'm using a lot of like, you know, mainstream ones because I don't want to get too obscure because I know you're (laughs) not you're not like a huge comic person. But, you know, Two-Face was in the movies, you know. Yes, Uh, I have definitely seen that movie (laughs) in that. So in the in the, the Christopher Nolan movie it's slightly different but in the comic book his origin is uh Harvey Dent was uh interi- not interrogating but you know questioning someone uh in his in his capacity as district attorney and 
the guy threw acid in his face and Batman wasn't quick enough to stop him. Mm. And so he created this duality of personalities, very similar to uh, Janus uh, in, in uh, Greek mythology, mm. where, you know, he blamed Batman for what happened to him. Batman should have been faster. And everything that he did was a result of, you know, Batman not being fast enough to save him, but being fast enough to prevent him from being killed. So again, there's that duality that goes into it. And this, this happens all the time. Like we look at uh, the, the Venom uh, series with Spider-Man. You know, mm-hmm. it was the rejected living costume that, you know, knew all of Spider-Man's secrets and mixed with Eddie Brock, who had also been wronged by Peter Parker. So now they've got both sides of that. So I think that also, you know, kind of fits into where your story is, where it's like, all right, I'm the king. I'm going to do what I think is best for everybody. And in doing so, you are alienating all the people who don't agree with you, which again comes back to your leadership thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the best? It's like, oh, but if I do this and this and this, I'm looking at it as I'm doing this for the greater good. But you're forgetting about all the people who are being affected negatively by your actions. And there's only so long that people are going to accept that before they rise up against you. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, in A Curse of Gold. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think people, like I said, they, they're very weary of curses. And so in a way, yeah, the king does kind of create his own world, his own worst enemies, you know, by asking for the thing, the touch to turn things to gold um, and then misusing that power. And um, in the in the first book, he actually asks for it because they're on the verge of war and he needs money. You know, he needs money to build an armada and an army and to protect his kingdom. And so he did. He had good reasons, but it just, you know, things don't always work out how you how you want, especially when the God of chaos is involved and mm-hmm. just likes to watch things, you know, kind of blow up in your face. Yeah, and it's definitely, again, you know, think of the consequences of your actions. Like, you might be making a grand sacrifice, but is anyone going to know that you are making that sacrifice? Like, that's one of the mm-hmm. things that, you know, Midas is like, I'm so desperate to protect the people of my kingdom that I will, you know, absorb this terrible curse no one's going to know what my sacrifice is. No one's going to understand, you know, and, you know, and so many people hate him just for like, oh, this is what I see. This is how I am perceiving things. And I have no evidence to the contrary. So it's like, oh, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's tragic. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, had he done nothing, you know, there's a good chance they lose that war and everyone is, you know, who knows what happens with the invading army. Like, you know, not every yeah. invading army is just there to be like, all right, we're going to subjugate you and your lives will continue as normal. It might be, you know, like the Persians or the Mongolians coming in and it's like, we're just going to ruin your day. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know. And so, you know, the king thinks he's doing the best possible thing, but it's kind of like either way you lose. He he tried to help them and he lost but if he hadn't tried it, they would have lost anyway. So, you know, it is that rock and a hard place. And as a leader, you do have to make those choices and then live with them. Yeah, it's like, do I alienate half of my kingdom and risk a coup? Or do I do nothing, save myself, and potentially endanger everybody? Yeah. 
yeah and those are the choices that leaders have to make and have to have to decide and they don't always make the right choices which i think you know that's where your story begins is people making bad decisions even if they think they're doing it for a good reason yeah i mean you know what's the what's the saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions yes exactly no good deed goes unpunished you know yeah. all those kind of things like it makes for such a good story and that's that's why i love writing them yeah it, it really does like you know you take these things it's like you know, like we were just saying, like these random quotes, and you kind of apply that to the options. I mean, I look at, you know, when I'm writing something, and, uh, you know, I'm curious to know if you do this as well, where you're looking at something, it's like, okay, you know, I've come to a crossroads with this character, and you almost turn it into, like, uh, an, in, an internal choose-your-own-adventure. It's like, well, I could, if I have this person do A, I can kind of branch it off like this. But I have them do B... I can kind of branch it off to do that. It's like, but I really like that plot line. But this makes more sense in the narrative. I got to go this way. And like, you kind of leave that other idea, even though it's a really good idea and you really want to see it happen. You know, hopefully you can eventually make your way over there. But, <laughs> you know, it has to be natural. Like, that's the thing. Like, trying to come up with, it's like, this is what I want to happen how do I do that in the narrative sense, you know? And again, a George R. R. Martin thing where it's like, and, and this is part of the, the, the internet culture of today where it's, okay, I've read some of your books and I think X, Y, and Z are going to happen because of clues one through seven. And then it's like, oh no, they figured out where it was going to go. They know the butler did it. <laughs> well, what if I have the chambermaid do it instead? Mm -hmm. You never set up that it was the chambermaid. You set up that it was a butler. You have four books saying that it was the butler, you know, leaving these little breadcrumbs all along. And it's like, well, I subverted your expectations. Uh, you can subvert my expectations, but, you know, have it be done in a way that was set up, you know, in that manner. Like, it's like, oh, well, I was going to do this, but aliens came down. And <laughs> that kind of, you know... It's like the two adversaries stared at each other. They drew their swords and rushed. And then, you know, Godzilla came out and roasted them all. Like, the end. Like, wow, that wasn't expected. It wasn't set up. <laughs> and I think that's, like, one of the things that... It's hard for me sometimes to read books now because as a writer, I'm always looking ahead. Like, okay, what are they doing? What are they mm -hmm. setting up? What tiny clue did they just put in there? Um, and that's there's this book called Caraval by Stephanie Garber. And I love it because I did not see the ending coming. Like it wasn't that it wasn't set up. It was just, I couldn't predict it. And so that made me fall so much more in love with that story. Um, so there are definitely ways you can do it where like, you think you know what's happening, but you don't know, or you doubt yourself. Um, and that I think is, is, you know, a mark of a good writer. Yeah. There's um, again, and I know I keep touching on game of Thrones, but it's, again, popular and people will understand what I'm talking about. There are so many different clues as to who is Azor Ahai, who is, who is the prince that was promised, and there were so many different videos on it, uh, and people are like, all right, this is what you need to do. Like this one, it's uh, Alt-Shift-X is the name of the YouTube channel. And he says, all right, you can apply these clues to almost anyone, and I will prove it. And then he broke down in like a 20-minute video how Tommen's cat, Sir Pounce, is Azora High. And like, <laughs> like, 
every single like he's like this is in the book this is what he said this is how he's described this is what like you could interpret this like this and it's like you come out of the video like so it's a cat like (laughs) and i think you know um that's one of the the keys to you know especially if you're writing a fantasy novel or like a very intricate story um planting these seeds where it could apply to a couple of different people and really keeping people guessing. Cause I'm sure a guy like that opens up a book and like five pages in is like, all right, Jeff did it. You know, and <laughs> because you see these context clues and it's like, all right, yeah, I, all right. You know, so it's so hard to trick, not trick, but like, I don't know, deceives not much of a better word. Uh, mislead your 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 readers because you don't want them guessing what's going on so you almost have to put more work into um crafting that world now when you get into when you got into world building for uh your your gold series mm-hmm. what you know i'm sure you you've based it on a lot of different places that you've been and seen and you know there are different landscapes that i'm sure stood out to you it's like well i went to a bunch of places but like kind of combining different things like how did you create your world and you know what what went into it like did you ever sit down and like okay here's a map of the world so i can kind of keep things you know in perspective and know where everything is in relation to each other i do have a bit of a map of the world um that i drew um and it definitely helped you know and i knew where the kingdoms were located the kingdom they went to war with um the, the islands that they end up, you know, traveling to all those kind of things. I had to know where they are. Um, I keep a lot of it just up here in my mind though. Um, Cause I don't do a lot of like plotting or planning. Um, but it does help to have a bit of a map and to know where things are located, where you're going, um, how far apart things are, you know, you don't want it to be like, it was a two hour boat ride to this next place. You know, like you need to, to figure all that kind of stuff out. Um, and so I think, that's definitely one way when you're doing world building is to, to, is to figure out your map first and figure out where everything's located. Um, do these people have mountains? Are they by the ocean? And um, a lot of mine, a lot of the inspiration for Longonia, the, the kingdom where this takes place, was a bit of a mixture between Ireland and Greece, actually. You know, they have these high cliffs like you would see at the Cliffs of Moher in Ireland. Um, but they are right on the water. Um, and then if you sail, not not too far away, a couple of days away, you get to a little bit of a, a hotter island, an island called um, the Island of Lost Souls, which is a place for pirates and cutthroats to hang out and no self-respecting citizen even knows it's there. Um, and that's where they end up at one point. So it was a lot of fun to kind of come up with these worlds and base them off of either, you know, islands I've been to or places I've been to um, or people I've met who kind of end up there. Yeah, see, I I was, I, I'll, I'll show you because people can't see at home, but this is the map that I made for one of my stories, and it's because I will not remember where everything is. <laughs> um, so I have to kind of remember, like, okay, this is where this is, here's the scale that I have for it, and, you know, so I try to remember where everything's going to go and how people get there, like you were saying, and I don't quite have the same... Uh, I don't have the same traveling experience that you do because you're you're like, okay, you know, if I base this pl- this fictional place on this real place, I know how long it is to get from point A to point B. Uh, so that's definitely uh, an advantage that you have. But have you ever looked at a place that you haven't been or, like, looked at a place like, 
like for me one of the uh one of my stories uh, in in my book uh, winter's discontent takes place in uh what is essentially the danakil desert mm. um i don't know if you're familiar with that or that's a place you've been Mm-mm. it is the hottest place on earth uh it is in ethiopia and okay they have these calcium deposits in in like little little pools and the pools go very deep down but the the area surrounding them are bright blues and greens and yellows and like because of all these different minerals and and Mm -hmm. it's striking but it also looks like this is a place where these creatures that i am creating this is where they would live because this is exact like they're reptilian creatures and this is exactly the place that they would want to come from with all these caves Mm -hmm. have you ever looked at a place or gone to a place and like you know what i'm gonna set something here like you know maybe you you went to you know machu picchu or or you know visited you know some some aztec pyramids and you're like oh this is so cool i'm going to come up with something like this and base a store or like you know a ghost town or you know something like that have you ever done that like a lot of caves um you know like caves full of glow worms or um you know in grand cayman i went swimming in um like a bioluminescent bay Mm. where every time you move your arms just like blue light just shoots out all around you from the little algae that have been moved um so i really want to write something about that i think that would be really cool or like um in a curse of gold, they do end up on a different island, um, which has a volcano on it. And I've been on been in some volcanic caves, um, and so I think those kind of made an appearance. You know, kind of like those tunnels and different things like that. Um, so I spend a weird amount of time in caves for someone who doesn't actually like caves. So <laughs> now, when it comes to like the world building and stuff like that, do you also do that with? Uh do you create like you're creating your own landscapes and 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 you know mm-hmm. kingdoms and stuff like that do you do the same thing with say uh the flora and fauna of your your universe yes i do i try to figure especially so tiger queen is as i said set in a very harsh desert and it actually is full of unique little creatures that i created that are based on reality but again have that twist mm-hmm. like um there's something called a droplet ant which has a clear abdomen and it'll absorb water in it and if you're poor enough and you don't have water, you might just eat one of those droplet ants. Or there's a blood beetle that if you start bleeding, it'll burrow its way out of the sand and you know try to come find you. Um, or there's something called a grieving spider, which if you get bitten by it, everyone around you will be grieving because you're going to die. Um, but then I create like this whole ecosystem. Like there's this type of bird that uses a little, it'll break off a piece of a cactus and, and stick it in a hole to try to kill the grieving spider so we can eat it. So like there's all these like, different levels to it um that that i love to create i love coming up with new creatures there's a different book that i'm working on that has not been published that takes place in an enchanted forest and it's all about unique creatures like one of them this is my favorite one it's a skunk because everything in this forest is kind of backwards it's a skunk that when it sprays you you don't smell awful you actually smell delicious you smell what, what whatever smells you you smell like that creature's favorite thing which in a forest full of deadly creatures is not good because then you smell like food to everything. It's a hell of a hell of a defense mechanism. Yes. So uh, so think about that. That's um, definitely don't want to mess with those uh, those reverse skunks there. 
Um, so yeah, I love coming up with creatures and just thinking what exists in this world, you know, like there are different types of, um, you know, snakes and lizards and things. And some of them are like a three headed lizard and each, each um, lizard have a, has a different colored tongue and like two of them are poisonous and one is fine um, to eat. And so, but if you really hate someone, you might switch the tongues um, and, you know, kind of put it back in there and they're like, oh, this is safe to eat. And it's not. Um, so definitely I love to play with those kind of things, you know, like even things based on our world, like, you know, if you eat, I think it's clams, like if you steam clams and they don't open, when you steam them, they're not safe to eat, right? I just applied that to a lizard and it says if a lizard dies with its um, claws kind of curled inward, then uh, it's not safe to eat because that means it's died where it stands and it's been and the poison that was in it has leaked out and you don't want to eat it, you know? So like all these little details come together to create a world that feels real and feels rich. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I do a very similar thing. Uh, mm -hmm. and I actually found out something that I randomly created you know, 15 years ago is a real thing. Uh, I had created these these trees in, in one of my story, uh, mm -hmm. in my book, Mist and Shadow. And I called them bang fruit trees where they were kind of like sentient trees where cool. if they felt threatened, they would drop their fruit and the fruit would mm -hmm. hit the ground. And when it hit the ground, it would rapidly uh, like decay and wither and it would reveal the uh, the pit and the pit, mm. once it got exposed to air, would explode, sending spines in every direction. Oh, wow. Uh, that's apparently a real thing. Like, there is a tree that does that. <sighs> and I didn't know. I just found out about it, like, a week ago. <laughs> but but like, see, that's so cool. Like, sometimes reality is just the strangest fiction. Yeah, I mean, like, and I've, I, I'll sometimes, uh, and I'm sure this is something you do, too. Like, you take... Um, you take a real thing, like uh, in, again, Game of Thrones, they have what are called lizard lions, which are gators. You mm -hmm. know, like that's essentially the same thing. Like I, I'm describing, you know, uh, in one of my stories, cotton, but they call it cloud flower. Because mm. that's kind of what it looks like. And they're like yes. oh, and they make clothes out of the cloud flower, you know, and, but it sounds more expensive so not everybody gets cloud flower clothes mm -hmm. you know so there's there's all kinds of things you know and just looking at you know if you do research on you know like you were talking about the cookie cutter shark yes like, yes you know combine a cookie cutter shark with say an epaulette shark you know then we got something going on that little thing will crawl right out of the, the ocean and come for you come get you you know and like start start taking chunks out of you you know um you know it's it's great to like see the stuff that exists in real life like the uh uh the mantis shrimp you know something oh, like yes. that you know uh make it bigger make it smaller you know take something that already exists and like switch it around a little bit take something that's extinct like uh my favorite extinct shark the helicoprion which is i'm sure you're familiar with that one is it is it the one that looks more like a um has like more of a snouty kind of thing? Is that that one? It's the one with like the buzz saw as the teeth. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like it's, it's like that's so cool. Like just imagine a world where you know these things didn't go extinct. Imagine you know a, a planet that you, it just takes a different evolutionary path, and 
that's one of the most fun things to do, I think, when it comes to world building, you know, and the way you were describing it, too. It's like, oh, like, before I come up with these characters, let's come up with some of the things that they're going to face in this world. Like, oh, I live in this tropical yeah. paradise. Like, my my wife uh, grew up for a few years because her, uh, her dad was uh, in the Air Force on Guam. And oh. she talked about, like, the infestation of frogs that they would have every year to the point where... You know, you'd be driving somewhere and you would unfortunately just have to drive straight over the frogs because they would be hundreds of thousands of them and they would be everywhere. Their neighbor had a a coconut crab as a pet. And I'm sure you've seen them in your travels. That's awesome. Do you know what a, uh, and this is a real fact, do you know what a group of coconut crabs is called? A grove? A nightmare. Oh, a that nightmare. sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, for folks who are uh, unaware of what coconut crabs are, uh, folks at home, uh, they are those massive coconut crabs that are roughly the, are crabs that are the size of a dog. They're not delicious, <laughs> so people don't eat them, but they crush coconuts with their claws, hence the name. Like, they climb trees. And they knock the coconuts down, and then they snap them in half with their claws. Uh, so nightmare is definitely a good a good name for that, <laughs> right? Like you don't want to, even though they probably wouldn't hurt you, you don't want to meet one of those. No, like, they're they're not aggressive, but I you don't want to make one mad, right? Uh, I would definitely say like creating stuff like that, like you know, let's let's take some things, let's you know, take some environments, like you were saying, you know, writing in Antarctica, which is the largest desert in the world, like turning it into a sand. Uh, you know, a, a, a sandy desert as opposed to just mm-hmm. a, a, a cold, snowy desert. You know, taking these things and you know, you can create such fantastical uh, locations and and you know, set pieces just from taking stuff that exists in everyday life and kind of combining it with something else. You know, like the Great Wall of China, but it's you know, like a living thing, like the Great Barrier Reef, like that would be yeah. super cool. And it's sentient and, you know, this is how it keeps, you know, uh, the border of this country safe and what's going on in this in this part of the world because no one ever knows because no one can get there because, you know, they don't have flight. Like, how do they? Yeah. So I think See, stuff, I love that. I love stuff like that. Yeah, like it's one of the most fun things to do. Like I play a lot of sports video games, but like, I, I have never played through an entire season because my favorite part is constructing a team, making <laughs> yes, trades and yeah. signing free agents. And that's my favorite part of it. It's the creation. It's not so much. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love writing my stories and I love writing like, well, how is this person going to get through and how is this person going to, you know, overcome this obstacle? And it's like, oh, I'm safe. Oh, no, I got eaten by this, you know, 12 foot tall bird. You know, this 12-foot-tall flightless bird, like, you know, a terror bird. Have you ever seen a terror bird? They're extinct, but they were, like, apex predators on the land. That sounds terrifying. As someone who's only 5'1", like, I don't need a giant bird chasing me. Yeah, it's, like, if you're ever stuck and you're like, oh, I want to, not that it sounds like you are, like, some of the stuff you're describing is phenomenal. Um, If you're ever stuck, like... Just Google extinct animals and start looking at some of the stuff and some of the bizarre evolutionary designs that have come 
through, uh, you know, for years. I mean, you have stuff like, you know, crocodiles and sharks that have never changed over 400 million years. But some of the stuff that didn't make it that we don't have today, like if Earth's oxygen would increase, I think, like 1%, we'd be back to eight-foot spiders. Oh. I mean, that's mm. why if you look at, uh, you know, like I've talked to people, it's like if you have places that are like, you know, rainforesty type uh, areas, the insects are much larger because the more they grow larger in the uh, presence of more oxygen in the air. And so if you have all these different trees, so like that's a cool science fact. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I can make giant, you know, I have this richly wooded area. The bugs are going to be huge. Ugh. Yeah, I've I'm, spent time in the Amazon, and those bugs are big. They are big. Yeah, and that's why is because of the increased oxygen in in their uh, atmosphere. Like I had a, a student from uh, Madagascar, and he was telling me they like the size of their mosquitoes. It's like, nope, no, thank you. But mm. I mean, you could even I'm take, a mosquito magnet. Don't need that. Keep those away. You could even you could even take a mos- a mosquito, and like you know, combine that with other mythology, like. You know, mm-hmm. vampires, you know, and, and mosquitoes, like a mosquito bites you. And now you're going to turn into this grotesque David Cronenbergian, the fly type mosquito <laughs> person. Yes. Yes. With your little proboscis or something. And now you get to like turn other people into mosquitoes. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, all, all of the were creatures, like, you know, it's like, oh, oh werewolves, yes. werebears. You know, I did just watch a shark movie that was um, shark to post versus Whale, wolf. werewolf, werewolf, whale, whale, wolf. Yeah, it was like a whale wolf, but it was a whale. It was yeah, a werewolf. He was, he was, whale. he was. Uh, it's a combination. I've seen that one. Uh, I've seen <laughs> all the sharktopus. Uh, yes, yes. So there's sharktopus, sharktopus versus terracuda, which is a pterodactyl barracuda. Ooh, I have not seen that one. And uh, sharktopus versus whale wolf, and the whale wolf is like a, a timber wolf crossed with an orca. Uh, and the yes. design for that, I was like, ooh, that's awesome. Little known fact, uh, that idea actually came from one of the first episodes of Futurama when they were they went to the really? uh, they went to Vergon Six and they were trying to get all the uh, indigenous animals. One of the animals on the list was a sharktopus. <laughs> and I have a drawing from back then that I did uh I think in like two thousand seven, two thousand six. Uh, and two of my stories in, in my book are uh, Roboctopus and oh. Croctopus. Oh, kind yes. of based on, like, because I, I love the Asylum films. Oh, okay, not seen those, but I'm just loving the shark crossovers. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, you got to get the, the, the Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, the Mega Shark oh, versus yeah. Mecha Shark, uh, Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus, which is one of the first <laughs> Blu rays I ever bought. Um, which stars Jaleel White from Family Matters, Urkel. Oh, <laughs> he's a, that's amazing. He's a uh, shark expert or a croc expert. I forget, one of the two. Yeah, it's, oh, if you haven't seen the original Sharktopus, it's got Eric Roberts in it. Like, <laughs> I, I think I have that one on DVD. I think I just need to rewatch it. It's been a long oh, time. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. See, I, I will go on a, a shark kick. I will say this. Um, uh, Amity Island, Amityville Island. It's supposed to be like a uh, a continuation of the Amityville story, but mm-hmm. the cover art is a giant shark about to eat it like a bikini girl. 
Um, and I watched it. I was like, all right, giant shark, giant haunted, you know, demon-possessed shark. All right, cool. Uh, no, uh, the shark's in it for about three seconds, and it has nothing Aww. to do with that movie. No. Uh, yeah, so blatantly fraudulent advertising there. Uh, yeah, shark, that's not cool. Meh. Uh, I enjoyed House Shark and uh, Bad CGI Sharks, like I said. I own uh, I need to look at the Bad CGI Sharks. That sounds I, right up my alley. I have the Blu-ray, DVD, and two VHS copies. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And my, my uh, poster, which is signed by the entire cast... Amazing. Um, because I've, I've been so supportive of those guys. Um, they also sent me a, uh, like a, a clapper, like clapper board. Oh, mm -hmm. And they all signed it and stuff on the back and put my name and my wife's name on it. Yeah. It's... They sound amazing. I can't wait to watch it. Maybe that's what I'll have to do tonight. I'll get some writing done and then I'll reward myself with some shark movies. Oh yeah. The, the, they even have like on, on Facebook and stuff, they even have like their own like little GIF options. Um, <sighs> I love it. I love it. And I do, I want to uh, mention that uh, Matteo Molinari, who plays uh, Bernardo in the movie, uh, is in a video. He shared it with us. I don't I don't know if you can even, even find it anywhere, but he is playing the mandolin for Weird Al Yankovic. What? Yeah. Like, it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, I refer That's to amazing. him. That's amazing. I refer to him as the omniscient narrator in that. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's so it's a very heartwarming story of two estranged brothers, and their movie script that they started to write as kids starts to come alive. Ooh, yeah. Um, See, that sounds amazing. See, there's never a bad idea. All ideas no. can lead to something. And this movie is like it was recently played uh, at the Paris uh, Film Festival. They were doing like a shark film festival, and the Discovery Channel put out a. Uh, like a montage, you know, trailer for all those films. Mm -hmm. And they featured bad CGI sharks multiple times, sometimes right next to Jaws, like in, in, the, in the clips. And the very ending of that clip is uh, Mateo as Bernardo saying, like, the shark looked great for the budget. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I yeah, love a shark movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. No, they know what's going on, and it's they're 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 awesome people. They're like they're just so cool, and I was really hoping to get out to see them out in California at some point. But you know, things are things are what they are. At the, <laughs> they are what they are. The exactly, moment. things are. Um, well, it has been. Uh, Awesome. We've gone way over our time, but I've really had a good time talking with you yes. about sharks and about writing, and we will absolutely do this again. I'm going to shoot you a friend request as soon as we're off air. Yes, please do. Um, where do you like folks following you on uh, social media, and where can they find your book? Yeah, you guys can follow me on, on Twitter and Instagram at A-N-N-S-U-L-L-I-B-A. -L -L you can find me on my website, AnnieSullivanAuthor.com. There's a contact form there that comes directly to me. So if you have any questions, um, definitely, you know, shoot me an email. I'm always happy to talk with fans or just fellow readers. Um, yeah, and you can find A Touch of Gold, A Curse of Gold, and Tiger Queen on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or your favorite indie bookstore. Yeah, and definitely pick these up. Like, you know, I don't know if I've expressed it enough, but having only read one chapter, I'm definitely a fan of yours uh, just from oh, your writing you. style, and you are a, an absolute delight to, to chat with. 
Well, likewise, I enjoyed this. I, I could just keep going about sharks all day, but um, I'm sure your your listeners are probably like, okay. Well, no. I think they're used to it at this point. They they know all about the whole shark thing, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, yeah. Uh, so thank you, and uh, we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. I'm Matthew. I'm Jason. I'm Matteo. And we're Majama. The creators of Bad CGI Sharks. And you're listening to the Shark Bites Podcast. You're going to need a bigger boat. I am back. Uh, that was a really awesome interview, and I, I'm really appreciative of uh, Annie for taking uh about two hours when we had originally scheduled one hour. So like, that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, she's, she's absolutely delightful. And, uh, it was nice to be able to talk sharks, uh, for so much of the interview while, while still making sure that we get, uh, enough of her, her book, uh, covered. Um, yeah, I thought that was a pretty good balance of, uh, sharks and books. So, um, I'm not going to keep you guys too much longer. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. Uh, we're back from hiatus. Um, I just I had so much stuff going on with the release of my book. Uh, how much do you tip an exorcist? And with you know all these different shows that I've been doing, uh, we've been doing some live stuff. We've been doing some uh, the, uh, the the horror trivial pursuit tournaments that uh, we've gone through uh, two games so far. We've got four more left before the championship. So far, uh, our buddy JB from Tales from the Podcast, and uh, Chris McGibbon from, uh, well, just, you know, the horror community in general. Uh, those two have won their respective games, so they are in the championship, and uh, we have to continue on and uh, see who else is going to be a part of that tournament. We've got some really cool guests that are going to be a part of this, so I'm very excited. So, before we go, I'm going to give you the uh, the customary shark fact, because can't not give you the shark fact. Um, we are, we've talked before about how sharks are a very important part of the ecosystem. And uh, one of the things that sharks do to contribute, you know, in addition to kind of being like the garbage disposals and cleaning up the carcasses and whatnot, uh, sharks prevent other marine animals from overgrazing in uh, vital habitats. Um, if they were allowed to, the turtles and, and other types of fish would just sit there and just eat all the plants that uh, make up the the, uh, the part of the, that part of the ecosystem. Uh, 
having sharks there kind of make forces them to move on and allows the plants to kind of replenish themselves and you know restock for for lack of a better term um yeah so that's uh i think one of the more uh we've talked about similar impacts before but i thought that was one of the more interesting ways to look at it um <clears throat> you know like we talked about with uh you know if you over hunt the sharks uh all of a sudden you're going to have too many of the prey animals just uh kind of running amok well swimming amok and uh eating all the vegetation and then there's no more vegetation and then those animals either have to move on and find another place or they overpopulate and then they die out and then there's no there's no balance one way or the other so you have uh, a lot of issues there so uh, we're going to be doing a lot more of these shows uh we're still going to stick with the every other week format because like i said i am super busy what with uh, the loudest sports show and uh the indie creator spotlight and throwdown thursday and this show and the live shows that i've been doing plus it's ashtober so you know i'm very busy making sure that uh ash has a good month because she very much deserves it because she works super hard and we want to make sure that she has a good birth month and uh yeah i think with that being said i just want to let you know that uh, while i am the podcaster you are my chum have a great week folks